This is podcast 1999. I can't remember the, the I, I never know the number. I never know the number. 1999 yep. and it's sunglasses at night. It sure is. That's the podcast where we look back through our metaphorical Ray-Bans at a year in musical history via the old Australian Recording Industry Association charts, also known as the Arias, and ask what the shit was going on. Indeed, indeed. So 1999, uh, look, at, at this point... Every single person on the planet, Tom, they were focused on the new millennium. Sure. They were ready for that, they even sure though it, was, it, was, it wasn't meant to start until 1st of Jan 2001, but no one cared. <laughs> but that aside, they were focused on the new millennium and they were focused, everyone was spending all of their time preoccupied with Y2K. Yes, absolutely. Now, any young person that doesn't know what that <laughs> is... Uh, Congratulations. Congratulations. What happened was... Um, people just assumed because uh, back in the, the, the olden days when bytes in computers were so, you know, computers had effectively imagine um, your phone today, that was like the most powerful computer on the planet. And as, even if you've got a Nokia 3210 today, that was sort of that. So uh, what they did was to preserve the space on these computers, they, all the years were just two digits, weren't they? So instead of 1992, 1993, it was just 92, 93, etc. So what happens when you get to 31 December 1999? Flips over to zero, zero. People just thought the fucking world was going to end, the ATMs would just, you know, money would start spewing out, you know, your toaster would explode, you'd get killed by, you know, like a, a train ticket machine. It was just... Plane would land on your house. Exactly. People just assumed it was going to be utter fucking pandemonium. And then, um, from what I recall, nothing happened. Yes, I still to this day, people, not much happened. I think one or two minor, you know. I remember reading industrial that industrial um, things happened. But yeah, no one, no one died though. Oh I fuck no, 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 none of the apocalyptic. This is I, I recall reading this. A guy in Oregon, in in the US of A, went to the video shop. <laughs> he'd hired some stuff out uh, the week preceding. Took it back. They scanned it and went, "You owe us eighty grand because these videos are hundred years <laughs> over, over due." And the guy went, they're not. And then the guy behind the counter went, yeah, yeah, don't worry, just the, the Y2K system thing that, you know, mm. it's fine, we'll wipe that. And then the guy left and that was it. And that was about as most as I heard happening. Yeah, that's So, true. yep, that's right. It was the end of the world. But anyway, so people were extremely fixated on that Y2K. Um, sure. They were less fixated on Will 2K, though. Will Smith's <laughs> fucking awful millennium, oh, sorry, Willennium-based mm. song, mm. Um, which didn't feature in any film. But uh, from what I recall, was utter dog shit <laughs> so that was great he tied that in so people were, were focused on uh, Y2K mm-hmm. um, what any other news that you can recall that's all I remember um, well you know a giant, uh, a giant hailstorm caused 1.7 billion dollars worth of damage in Sydney ah good that was that year where they were like AFL football sized pieces of ice <laughs> just destroying people's houses nice so that was pretty nuts um the U.S. Coast Guard intercepted 4,300 kilograms of cocaine Good. on a ship headed for Houston in one of the biggest drug busts in American history. Is that how uh, much, sorry? 
4,300 kilograms, so 4.3 tons. tons, In movie news, Joe Esterhouse's career came to a halt and he never wrote another script. Oh, no. So I'm sure those two events had nothing to do with each other, (laughs) but, you know, I'm just saying they happened at exactly the same time and exactly the same year. Uh, Yeah, if Uh, anyone has seen Jade, um, the film, (laughs) I think, that just preceded Showgirls, you can assume that there was a lot of cocaine involved. Oh, yeah. Um, In sadder news... uh, the delicious pink and blue rapid caramels from Pascal Confectionery had their names permanently ruined when teens Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold killed 13 people and injured 24 in the Columbine Massacre. Uh, so, yeah, shit. if anyone gets that joke, congratulations. Um, the <laughs> did, they change the, did they change the name of Columbine? No, you can after still that? get them. Although I must admit I haven't seen them anyway for a long time. They're really? fucking delicious, though. Yeah, they're yeah. good. They're very nice. In the aftermath of this horrible event, America took a good hard look at itself and instituted tough new gun control measures. Oh, sorry, that was my fault. That should have read, America took a good hard look at itself and blocked a tyrannical federal law against pedophiles buying landmines. Ah. So it was about time that law was taken away because, good. you know. That's absolutely right. They get crazy with those mm, landmines. So, it's in the Second Amendment. Uh, <laughs> no well-regulated militia pedophiles should be allowed to buy landmines. Absolutely. So a lot of a lot of news there, Tom. There's a lot of, you mm. know, stu- a lot of stuff oh, happened. Yeah. Culturally, oh, one other thing. The yep. Sopranos debuted on HBO, signalling the start of the HBO era, essentially the modern long yeah. format high high budget TV show era. I yep. was still renting it one cassette at a time on VHS <laughs> back then. And Eminem's Slim Shady LP came out, forcing Generation X to reconsider the possibility that a rapper could be white, but not white dog shit. I still think he's just a fad, Ben. What do you reckon? I think so, yeah. Time will People tell. People will get sick of this. People, oh, they'll definitely get sick of that. They'll just be like, just another white rapper, just like all the others before him. Um... Vanilla Rice. Uh, young black teenagers. <laughs> young black teenagers. White. Um, Denny uh, Blazin Hazen, if you remember, <laughs> if you know that guy. You don't know Blazin Hazen? I do like uh, Blazin Chet Hazen, though. He's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, you mean Tom Hanks' son, yes. Chet Hanks. He's Blay. That guy's on fire. Um, oh, hopefully we we'll get to um, him. Kevin Federline. Oh, K-Fed. Yeah, absolutely. All Some of the finest, so... But yeah, Eminem, uh, he's, he's effectively in the same box as those guys. But uh, what was that dude that, um, you know, the uh, Kanye West owes me $300 book guy? What was his name? Oh, yeah. The one... He that... was a white rapper too. Yeah. Uh, he had a real... Um, hot Carl. Hot Carl. <laughs> yeah. Apparently he was all poised to be the next white rapper that was going to take off. Like a new generation of white rappers and then and then Eminem just came along and crap. Yeah, he was signed to the same record label, I think, yeah. and they were just like, oh, we probably only need one of these dudes. One's like just a novelty joke <laughs> rapper and one sort of <laughs> is hanging out with Dr. Dre, so we assume he's mm. legit. So Also, Eminem's a shit name, but Hot Carl, oh boy. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> like calling yourself MC Cleveland Steamer or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not ideal, less than ideal. Uh, and the biggest film of the year, I believe, was uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yes, although I think Wiki Wiki Wild Wild West came out this year too. Ooh, that's a big one as well, mm, for mm. sure. Um, was uh, certainly large something. I've not seen. Have you seen The Phantom Menace, Tom? <laughs> I have seen The Phantom Menace. In fact, I may have even gone on open. Yep. Night. I didn't queue up, but yep. I remember the cinema was chockers. What do you think? Uh, afterwards. It's hard to tell with these things sometimes. I remember afterwards thinking, oh, yeah, that was okay. Like, yep. it was a big blur of noise and stuff. Also, I never... I'm, I'm not... 
I'm pretty old, but I'm not old enough to have watched the original Star Wars at the movies. Yep. So, yep. you know, I, yeah. And and also, we were more impressed with CGI in 1999. That's true. And that was, like, true. the most expensive CGI money could buy at the time. Yep. So it did look legitimately good at the time. Correct. But, yeah. What did you think? Did you see it at the movies? I've never seen it. No, I didn't go and see it at the movies. I tried to download it years later well, and um, absolute, accidentally downloaded... Well, I, I thought it was legit, but it was um, Star Balls, The Phantom's <laughs> Penis... And, uh, and sort of, you know how they'd sort of they'd, yeah, they'd put the wrong Flesh titles, Gordon, yeah. put the wrong titles right. on there. So I th- it was a reworking, I think. So I still, get, you know, got most of the plot, assuming you know a lot of dicks in in the in the Star Wars Phantom Menace one. Um, a lot of dude on dude action, but that's you know I think that's probably what happened in the in the Star Wars, mm, wasn't it? So mm, Han Solo. Much, and I yeah, don't think you missed. Heaps. No, exactly. Um, probably made more plot consistent. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, cool. Should we move on to the music? Let's do it. All, All right, right, excellent. Uh, so for the first three weeks of 1999, the offspring pretty fly bracket for a white guy. People just couldn't get enough of that they from couldn't. 98. So oh, we spoke... Oh, yep. my friend did yep. point out one thing to me, but yep. yeah, I don't want to talk about that no, 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 anymore because I think please. we covered it pretty please. much. But uh, my friend Brett pointed out that for quite a while with the Australian charts, the Arias, they didn't do proper tabulation for two weeks over... Christmas. So for two weeks over Christmas, they would basically pause the chart. Okay. So if you could get, if you were, if you hit number one in like at the end of the year, you'd get like a two bonus weeks at number one. So perhaps that six weeks was really only four weeks. I was saying to him, I can't believe that Pretty Fly for a white guy was in the charts for two weeks longer than fuck. My heart will go on from yep. Titanic, yep. which was still playing at the cinema at this point in Launceston. Anyway, well, that's but, that's yeah. an interesting point because I think you we do find that usually every year the next year there's always it's never 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 a clear cut just new thing so yeah usually get a few more so if it's two more if it's two more weeks then that's probably just follow on from the previous year but if it's like some of them are like eight more weeks so people are still buying um cool so that was that so first uh new song of the year um for 1999 is sure believe Mm. now tom do you believe in life after love (laughs) Well, I can feel something inside me say, I probably don't think it's strong enough. Yep, absolutely. Mm. So I think that... I'm not sure how that answers the question, even in the song. No. Well, it's a rhetorical question I assume Sure was posing because certainly she didn't provide us with an answer in that, do you believe in life (laughs) after love? You know, a simple yes or no would have done. She didn't provide us with that. But look, (laughs) the, the interesting thing about this song, and I think most people probably already know this, is that it's one of the first hits, if not the first number one hit, uh, to feature auto tune, and now I've been suffering through yes. it for two decades. And by to use auto tune, I think uh, what I mean by that is to use auto tune not as it was intended to be used. Yes. Yeah. So the the to gap. Use it so you can tell it's being used. Like, yeah, it's definitely. supposed to be imperceptible. That was the original intention. Exactly right. So you use it on those dog shit people that are from uh, you know like pop stars or yeah, you know, like Idol who did we have Paris last Hilton week? Um, some... The ones who did. Oh God, that All Saints. Oh, exactly. Yeah. For sure. Just <laughs> so you give them the auto-tune and then you smooth out some of those rough edges so it makes them sound mm. in tune. But clearly what happened was uh, the dude that invented auto-tune, the guy, it's, it's sort of funny because I've actually seen, I think this year, two separate documentaries <laughs> about auto-tune, sure. which is pretty weird. But um, the dude that invented it, he was a an American engineer known for developing geological, uh, sorry, geophysical prospecting techniques for the petrochemical 
uh, industry okay. <laughs> and then he figured out some algorithm that you could correct pitch or something like that oh, so okay. and yeah it was intended to to correct tone in real time but then he set a dial on there so you could put it to like maximum yeah. tuning so then, instead of happening over a one second break it happens instantly and yeah so it just jumps exactly like, so if you sort of go uh, it'll sort of jump up like yeah, that so sure yeah so sure did this and it's, it's weird because the gap in time between you know this being popular then an absolutely sucking shit and then people <laughs> using it ironically and then people just using it legitimately again it happened in about the space of two years I sort of feel that with some other technology you know people will be like oh those cheesy 80s synthesizer songs it took like 20 years for people to go oh actually the synthesizer is sort of cool or the the Mm. sax solo from 1985 they just didn't do it for like 25 years and then people went let's bring back the sax solo but this was legit fuck that so terrible and I reckon within two weeks someone was back going oh yeah I'm on the auto tune again do you like it in this song uh, leaving it aside let's say that nobody ever copied it and it didn't lead to years and years and years of dog shit yeah rap music um, vocals oh look it's interesting I think at the time I probably hadn't heard anything like that before I went oh yeah that's unique I, I, I like a vocoder though I do like the vocoder effect that people use so I think it robot works. voice I think it works here Better than it would subsequently a lot because Sher has such a nice voice already, like that she doesn't really need auto tune connection anyway. Like she had a fucking thirty year musical career before this. She's got a fine voice. So then it, I think it's sort of the roboticness of it contrasts with her nice, yeah, exactly. sort of you know clean normal vocals. Whereas if you apply this effect, like in a lot of rap vocals, to people who can't <laughs> sing, if they had a gun pointed at their head, yep. then it just sounds like, you know, someone with no singing voice letting their voice be played on a yep. kid. Because it's, it's used only a couple of times in the verses, sort of just yeah, it's know, the, a bit like... Yeah, it's mostly the chorus. Yep. And, then, yeah. and then a couple of... Yeah, so just use it a bit there. And but it's you're a right. kind of... Because it's a kind of disco... Yep electro song as well it sort of it has a kind of built in campiness anyway yep. like yeah because people just turn it on now and they just leave it go through the whole song a, what's a, what's an example of a vocoder song just so I can try and compare it does it sound exactly like this I'm trying no, to think of one so the vocoder is like um, it's if you listen to those you know any song in the 80s that has that sort of robot voice effect so you know okay. Gatto, Mr. Roboto oh so okay like, you know it sort yeah. of has that's like a pop song but you know they use it a lot in sort of like prog rock and shit like that oh, anything okay. where it sounds like a robot sort of so like so it was a less sophisticated auto tune yeah exactly that effect okay, yeah it was right. invented to um to mask military communication yeah you see so, <laughs> so you could cipher the yeah, yeah. but right. um yeah exactly look we'll, we'll uh yeah I'll think of a really really good vocoder I, I know what you mean I know the effect I grew up yeah. with it like I, yeah exactly but look the, the other thing is that in the music video for this is it looks like they've tried to visualise auto-tune somehow <laughs> in the music video and by that I mean every time yeah. Sher's voice is auto-tune her f- face will like disappear and then like reappear somewhere else on the screen or go all fuzzy like <laughs> like sort of um like the effect that they were trying to use in uh, A Scanner Darkly you know that yeah. film where, the character, where you can't see the person's <laughs> face if you don't know what I'm talking about uh, Keanu Reeves in a rotoscoped <laughs> Philip K. Dick mm. sci-fi thing where in the future people wear the 
sort of masks or something so you can't identify what they look yeah. like. So they've tried to do that with Sher. She'll auto-tune sing and it'll be like, and then her face will go all bizarre. So, yeah. Which is pretty weird. It also looks like that she's got like fiber optic cable hair extensions. I was going to say, yeah, I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> I mean, like you say, the video is it's very 99. It's in yep. a grungy underground club slash gay bar type thing punk clubs you know those ones that definitely exist yep in, and in two years time everything's gone from futuristically blue tinted to sort of post-apocalyptically green tinted shares in a plastic box with a terrible wig on like you said <laughs> I kept expecting it to light up because it looks like it's made of like monkey hair and fibre optic it does, cable yeah. but it doesn't it just <laughs> yeah and then there's a, a disconnected to her there's a girl who's spying on a dude and you think they're going to hook up but then he leaves with someone else and she's sad at the end. I guess that's meant to illustrate the life after love aspect. <laughs> yeah. But the crucial problem is that the guy has dreadlocks. Yeah. So it would probably work better in a song called Life After Boning a Guy with Dreadlocks, brackets, is excellent. Yeah. Or perhaps thank fuck for that. <laughs> I didn't hook up with a guy with dreadlocks. Exactly. So, you know. Look, to me, it looked like an off-brand Claire Danes was trying to hook up with Bomb Funk MC. Is that sort of <laughs> yes, a fair assessment? that's pretty much yeah. exactly. Yeah. There's also a particular sort of bowl cut haircut that pops up numerous times this year which I forgot must have been cool for women to have for about like six months in 99 yeah. it's like a sort of punk bowl cut yeah, thing I assume that uh, Rachel from Friends is probably <laughs> doing this at the time or some bullshit didn't looks, she it looks a bit like Run Lola Run actually which oh, came out around this time yeah. too so yeah exactly that's sort of like a yeah like a messy bowl cut it's not a good look no now it took it, seven people it took seven people to write this song can you believe that I time? know I know it's pretty weird I yeah. mean even that guy gets credit for the, the thing like yeah yeah, for coming up with um, yeah, is this um sure? So the official story is that the producer figured out the trick, like you said, but sure loved it. Producer Mark Taylor figured out the auto tune thing, but sure loved it and defended it when Warner Music tried to get rid of it. But I have also heard another version where she hated it and he had to put his job on the line to convince her to keep it. Uh, yeah. So whichever one right, it's safe to say that if the song had bombed, nobody would be trying to take credit for it, <laughs> making a 52-year-old lady sound like a cybernetic duck. So, yeah. Exactly. Did she have any other hits or is it like, is sure sort of... Not... Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, this was released in 98 yep. originally. It took a little while to take off before it peaked at number one in 21 countries Jeez. worldwide. Number one on the Billboard chart on March 13, making sure the oldest female artist at 52 okay. ever to have a Billboard number one. Wow. She also set the record for the longest gap between number one singles on the Hot 100. There's 33 years and seven months between I Got You, Babe, and oh. Believe Hitty. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, she's a true multi-generational... 30, is and that, she's still if you told me that people were making jokes about how old she was then they yep. were making jokes about her how old she was in If I Could Turn Back Time yep. which was like eight years ago now eight years later she comes back like to go from that like sort of pop rock stuff to being a disco like a gay targeted disco diva yep. and then 20 years later she's still fucking touring like yeah, exactly. she's still touring now it's exactly. crazy that is insane <laughs> I can't believe that people were sort I mean, of giving off. shit back yeah then, so. it's nuts and nobody gives I mean okay people do give the Rolling Stones shit for being old but you know what I mean yeah, it's not absolutely. quite the same thing so 33 years so that means if um, say Snow can release a number one in 2025 you might be able to break that record he could so, yeah. fingers crossed still 52 years old yeah number one on the on the billboard absolutely I mean, pretty good for sure actually it's, it's interesting um, this 
song is generally known as probably the first big hit, but Kid Rock actually beat Sure to use auto-tune in this manner oh, with his song Only God Knows Why, uh, <laughs> which was released, I think, just... The same year, I think, '98. But How yeah, does so, that compare? Oh, it's dog shit. But it's sort of it's <laughs> it's him with an acoustic guitar, and then sort of a bit of a like the auto tune sort of thing happening. So, but look, I don't think you can say that sure ripped this off from Kid Rock because I think it's probably one of those no. things that just sort of happened around the same time. No, but, well, what actually what did happen too is that guy who figured out the. The, the note skipping effect yep. by fucking around with the settings they wanted to hold on to that so they told people it was a vocoder when uh, people yeah. asked about that effect because they wanted to you know you can't patent something like that but they were obviously hoping to you know maybe use it in other trade secret yeah, yeah that's right it'll be a trade secret but it, the secret got out pretty fucking fast it seems oh, like oh yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> because you do not have to fast forward that long until you get to sort of T-Pain yes, who's just exactly. and then once T-Pain was using it for entire songs uh, then that just set oh, you know the everyone. doors it's ajar it's still fucking going like, it is yeah, yeah exactly like it's that's what I mean about sort of the the legitimacy using it like yeah sort of non-ironically just using it you know because you think that it's a good effect through to using it ironically through to not again like it's so hard to know what people are doing because it's so overused and so ridiculous that whenever I hear it I just assume that someone's doing it as a joke (laughs) because I think there was a period of time where if you heard something auto-tune it's like oh they're taking the piss out of it yeah. but now I just don't know I, whether someone's doing it yeah. just to say haha this is funny or like no I'm just using this I mean there's plenty of songs now where especially again hip hop vocals where you've got one person who's using the the sure note jumping effect yep. and then they'll cut to the backing vocalists but then they've all they've got the old fashioned originally intended auto-tune effect on their voice yeah just the, the standard pitch smoothing effect as well Absolutely. so it's like no one on this track is actually seeing no one knows the, what the like, fuck's going the on. notes that you're hearing this is yeah i don't know exactly exactly so yeah look i don't know i think for me auto-tune it's sort of dog shit and it just annoys me now yeah so. i mean you can't blame that on sure i no, guess no, but no. yeah i know what you mean it's uh, look if you can try and get a hold of the u.s maxi cd single this time because <laughs> you've sure. get you got believe you got the believe fat and funky club mix believe club 69 funk club oh, mix nice. believe almighty definite mix um, the Exomania Mad Tim and the Mekon Club Mix. Mm, Love that Mad Tim. Nice. Club 69 Future Anthem Mix. Grips Heartbroken Mix. Club 69 Future <laughs> Anthem Dub. Club 69 Funk Dub. Fat and Funky After Love Dub. Wow. So I there's mean, a you, lot of... You've got a whole evening planned. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, some of these mixes are 10 minutes long, so you've got yourself a good 90 minutes of sort of enjoyment. Just sit back and enjoy oh, the old almighty definitive mix and the Exomania Mad Tim. The terrifying part about that is that the last one is called the Fat and Funky After Love Dub. Yeah. Does that imply that there are possibly gay dudes out there whose entire lovemaking session is just to the tune of Believe playing 10 times oh, in yeah, a row. I hope so. With After one love. last Believe for afterwards yeah. while you're smoking a cigarette. 
I think so, for sure. Just put a CD on, Steve. I uh, hope it's that US Maxi CD single, Believe, which is just 80 minutes straight of fucking Believe with different mixes. So, yeah, absolutely. The only thing is, you know, there's, I'm sure it's a lot of different moods as well, you know, because the fat and funky club mix to me does say foreplay time, whereas Club 69 Future Anthem dub, well, that's clearly something else, isn't it? So, look, does this have lyrical highlights? Well, uh I mean, if I'm honest, not really. <laughs> By all accounts, I, and I, I know I keep mentioning gay people here, I'm not just indulging in stereotypes entirely, but because by all accounts, this was calculatedly written as a gay anthem. I think that's one of the reasons why it took seven people to write this song is because it was a couple of dudes toying with it for years and yep. then bringing it round and then they go share involved and they're trying to get it into something that she would want to do. So she didn't write any of the lyrics really. Um, but yeah, and it, not only that, but it's uh, so it's so it probably took a while to took off, took a while to take off because it was in the clubs, then into the mainstream. But it certainly does have that theme of sort of overcoming heartbreak through struggle. Was on that list yep. that you brought up way back in the eighties of what constitutes a gay anthem that oh, was yeah. in, on some website. But um, I think we might have been talking about Fergal Sharky or something. We were. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got you know the whole. That's the whole song. It's just it's very sort of one note. Uh, uh, lyrics wise if not vocoder wise but yeah so it's what am I supposed to do sit around and wait for you well I can't do that and there's no turning back I need time to move on I need love to feel strong because I've had time to think it through and maybe I'm too good for you um, yeah I reckon you could get better ideas just from following Sher's Twitter account <laughs> no she is a brassy old bitch she does not suffer fools gladly nah, and I, yeah, I reckon she could do better than that absolutely so look now I think that means Tom that we are officially now in post auto-tune territory <laughs> so every time there's a song that hits number one that features auto-tune I'll ring a bell or something sure. or just say the word auto-tune or something like that we'll tally them Talk up and like see we go because I, I gather that every single fucking song from now on is going to have this in there once, once we get to that sort of T-Pain, yep. it's ubiquitous now type territory. So, look, uh, 7.8 mil on the Spotify for yeah, sure doesn't, doesn't surprise me. me. 15 cents for this, yeah. I'm sure there are a billion of these around, so that doesn't surprise me either. So, there you go. Five weeks of power. Uh, up next, 28th of February, it is Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. Wow. There you go. Speaking of cultural impact. Exactly. Welcome, Brittany, to the podcast. This is uh, <laughs> the first time that she, she's the, jumped in. The oldest number one to one of the youngest. <laughs> one of the youngest, exactly Female right. Female number ones. Nine weeks. This yeah. Was. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's a long time for this. This was uh, a cultural phenomenon, and, sure as was. you mentioned, Tom, and... We've sort of talked about this before, but this is a period of time where, you know, cultural phenomenon was sort of something like a song that had a really big impact, yeah. reinvented the whole sort of thing, you know. Um, Britney came on the scene, young pop star, everyone knew her name almost immediately. Yeah. You know, it's not like today where a cultural phenomenon is like a dude like standing on a box or something or someone, sure. you know, like drumming a wheelie bin going, yeah. oh, on TikTok, you know, and they're a cultural phenomenon. It's and not something that. like Spice Girls... You could tell she was a legit cultural phenomenon because within six months there were six other people trying to do exactly, exactly the same thing. The this same is where thing. Christina Aguilera, yep. Mandy Moore, etc., etc., all these other young ingenue type blonde, exactly. attractive, oversexualized young ladies were in the charts. Not that that's a new thing for pop music, but they were obviously Britney influenced at the time for think. sure. And and much like people uh, my parents' age probably 
you know, reminisce about where were you when, you know, the moon landing, mm-hmm. you know, you know where, where was that? Or sort of where were you the first time you heard the Beatles or something? I think a lot of people uh, for our generation like to talk about where were you the first time you saw the music video, Tom? Can you recall? <laughs> oh, you know, I was just cranking it in the lounge. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, <laughs> not sure. Probably on Rage. <laughs> probably probably somewhere on a TV. Probably, oh, maybe in a shop, you know, where shops used to have TVs and they'd play music videos in there. So. They'd never let you back in the shop after that. No, no, exactly. Um, uh, I do know that, uh, yeah, I mean, this even the video was hugely influential. Billboard voted it the best video of the night. 90s. Mm. Um, I can't remember. I don't know when they voted that, but yeah. Yep. She, oh, she's 16 in that video, by yeah, the way. But yeah, remember, if you're stuck for video ideas, you can never go wrong hypersexualizing school children. <laughs> it never goes out of fashion. Nowadays, this would just be empowering. But yeah, I Absolutely. think at the time, I think. I mean, it was it was it was getting towards you know it was nearly two thousand. Like it's not like people didn't think this is possibly creepy as fuck. People complained about it. Yeah. But I think at the time it was thought that because she had so much agency involved in it. Yep. That it was kind of you know I'm not sure if people were talking about empowerment and stuff then. You know it was sort of the girl power thing and it. Yeah, I think that's how they got away with it. Yeah. Sort of thing and also because in the lyrics. There's no winking quality to this song. She does it straight down the barrel, dead earnest. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's, yeah, she's not kind of joking about how much, you know, being a slutty schoolgirl, nor is she winking at creepy old men or anything like that. It's just a sort of, you know. Yeah. Wasn't the, uh, with, with the music video, didn't they have a clothing budget of like 50 yes. bucks or something? Yeah, so. they got all the clothes from Kmart, which one of the, one of the guys said, which kind of makes it look a bit more realistic because they're supposed to look like... High school kids. She was meant to be wearing a shirt and jeans, uh, but in wardrobe she asked for a school uniform because she said it would be more realistic. Because it's Um, set in a high school, yeah. Yes, and then, yeah, it was shot in Venice High School, the same school where Greece was filmed. Mm. And just in case you weren't aware that Britney Spears was from the South, her love interest in the video is played by her real-life cousin, Chad. Oh, good. That's good to know. <laughs> hot guy in the gym who she's making eyes at. Fuck yeah. That's her cousin. Fantastic. But yeah, and I think, as you mentioned, cheap clothes. I think it was her idea to tie that school uniform yep. up, sort of do that, make it a bit sexier. And yeah, look, it's it's a video clip that everyone knows to this very day. Yeah. Also, the choreography was a lot more exciting back yep. then. Her videos at the time had, you know, the best of the, you know... Absolutely. The modern day equivalent of Cardi B or whatever, you know, the cutting yeah. edge stuff. But I guess we need to address the elephant in the room, Tom. Uh, were the lyrics always sketchy as fuck? Or <laughs> <laughs> is that something that just nobody bothered paying attention to? Yeah, people, uh, people did complain about that too. Hit me, baby, one more time. The, the, the guy who wrote this song, um, who's Swedish, he yep. indicated that what he meant was hit me up on the telephone. Yes, he time. claimed he thought that hit That's me what, meant call me. Call, yeah. yeah, hit me baby one more time. Call me baby one more time on the telephone. But there's a few problems with that. One, nobody fucking anywhere has ever said that ever. <laughs> and two, even if they did, he shortened it to mm. rather than hit me on the telephone one more time. You know, <laughs> if it was if the song was just called Call Me Baby One More Time, would have made more sense maybe, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Look, I mean, at least they stopped short of giving her a black eye in the video or anything like that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So, uh, but yeah, the song was written and produced, as I said, by a dude out of Sweden. His name is Max Martin. 
Yes. Uh, now, this is pretty crazy, but in terms of number one songs written or co-written that have reached number one in the US mm. on the Billboard charts, uh, Paul McCartney, 32, yep. obviously. John Lennon, 26. Mm-hmm. This guy, Max Martin, 25. Yeah. So it's ridiculous to think that Obviously, Lennon and McCartney wrote all those Beatles songs, solo stuff, Wings, whatever the fuck, that wonderful Christmas time bullshit that Paul <laughs> McCartney does, all those songs. And then you've got this guy that probably isn't really a household name. Most people probably don't really no. know who he is. But he's written or co-written 25 songs that have hit number one in the US. And yeah, that's, it's, that's insane. It's crazy. Over two decades, he's still working now. Yep. He wrote, uh, just among others, I Want It That Way, in sync, baby one more time. It's gonna be me by in sync. I kissed a girl, California girls, teenage dream, last Friday night. We never ever getting back together. Roar by Katy Perry. Dark Horse by Katy Perry. Shake it off. Oh, Can't yeah. stop the feeling by JT. Blinding lights by the weekend and a couple of other of the weekend's hits. Like it's nuts. It really is nuts. He's worked with Bieber, Ed Sheeran, Ariana Grande, Selena Gomez, Coldplay, Pink, and on and on and on. And, like, as uh, my brother once pointed out, like, as you say, most people don't even heard of this guy. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's generationally, as you get older, there's a tendency to listen to the pop charts and think, fuck, all these songs are starting to sound pretty much the same. <laughs> but with the modern charts, thinking they sound pretty homogenised, you know, there might possibly be a reason for that, e.g. that half of the stuff in the top <laughs> ten is written by one dude. Yeah. You know? Exactly right. Exactly. And not only that... Uh, out of those number ones, he also produced twenty three number one hit singles. Mm, so yeah, those are just the ones he. So wrote. he writes, he wrote writes the songs, but then he also uh, produces the songs for the artists in the studio. So that's yep. pretty impressive. So he's equal with George Martin with twenty three in the US. So it's very nuts. very impressive. So look, uh, as as you said, Tommy, yeah, all the songs sound the same because it's just the same dude <laughs> pumping them out in a basement somewhere in Stockholm. And, and producing them in the same style too, like giving them the same polish and the same sort of feel. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So look, I guess that's probably a good point uh, in the podcast, Tom, to mention Britney Spears' conservatorship. It's in the mm. news recently. She's She's been freed of that, which is fantastic. Oh, she so has. She that, has. I wasn't yeah, sure yeah. what the latest development was. Um, so yeah, look, most people know what's going on with that for the past, what, 15 years or something. Britney Spears' dad has effectively controlled all of mm. her finances and what clothes she can wear Since and what she, she had does a sort of nervous breakdown in the, when the, the aughts, the early aughts. Yeah, exactly. And Flipped look, out, shaved her head. For sure. And so forth. She married K-Fed, so obviously she's mentally unsound. I mean, that, is that sort of true? I mean, for a while, so. after one court case, the judge gave K-Fed custody of the kids. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I mean, if, if the judge is looking at K-Fed and going, well, he seems like the more <laughs> reliable parent than you, yeah. that might be cause for concern. You probably fucked up. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe the, the courts... Um, it was in their best interest to maybe look after her, but yeah, not for, for such a period no, of time. No, no, no. Not what she's... You know, now she's been back to normal for a long time. Yeah, She's been exactly. performing in Vegas for a fucking decade or something yep. like that. Well, I think that's the thing. People probably just expected that, hey, look, she's having a bit of a hard time at the moment. Wouldn't it be good if someone just took control of her finances so she doesn't, like, flush it down a toilet or do something completely reckless for, you know, like, six months or something? And it's like, oh, yeah, she seems fine now. You're good to go. But <laughs> the dad was obviously just milking the fuck out of this to get as much money as he could and mm. various other people. So, look, free Britney. She's free. Good on that. Let's hope that we yeah. can see her... 
you know, out here at Crown Casino, um, <laughs> just uh, pumping out whatever the equivalent of Vegas is. Yeah, it's like Olympics, Olympic sports people and um, female pop stars that start young have about an equivalent track rate of mad parents. Oh, I think. yeah. No it doesn't, you don't have to have mad parents to get to the top. Yeah. And... <laughs> And if you have mad parents, you may still not get to the top, but yep. they do seem to go hand in hand quite a lot. Yeah, it absolutely. Seems to be pretty common. The Even, dad who's sort of like, oh, my kid has a little bit of talent. I'm just going to fucking make them dance yeah. and do singing lessons every night of the Even week. Even fucking Megan Markle recently, you know, like, you know, yeah. Amy Winehouse and stuff. They've got, yeah, it's just, I yeah, don't absolutely. Know, it just seems to be a recurring theme. Yeah, Beyonce, I think, has got the dad that controlled the whole operation <laughs> when yeah. she was younger. So. The film about, um, just came out with Will Smith, a film about Sarah uh, Williams, Venus and Sarah, the Williams, their mad dad as well. Oh, another yeah, weirdo. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You sort of, on one hand, if you're that kid, it's sort of my childhood was shitty. But on the other hand, if my dad hadn't been so insane, no one would know who I am because maybe I wouldn't yeah. be a tennis star. I don't know. I don't know. Pushing, so. pushing people past their... Just that's what, like, whiplash is about, isn't it? You know, like... Yep. To what extent is the value of psychologically yeah. tormenting someone if it produces results yeah, exactly. worth doing, you know, like, Definitely. especially when it's children, like in Whiplash, he, I think he's supposed to be like a uni student, but he yeah. comes across as an adult. Yep. But when you're looking at, you know, a 14 year old or a 12 year old and like, yeah, pushing them beyond the, you know, they're not really in a position to be able to make decisions. No, exactly. Exactly. Sort of, yeah. So look, I'm glad Britney Spears' dad pushed her into the Mouseketeers <laughs> or whatever the fuck it was she did before this and she's got some great hits. So I just forgot to mention when I did mention K-Fed, uh, remember his song Popo Zow? Remember that? <laughs> Popo Zow. I remember Pop-o-zow. the name. I don't think I've ever heard it. Oh, it's fantastic. It does feature <laughs> such lyrics as, I want to see your kitty and a little bit of titty. So... Um, good. Okay. So Brittany said, sure. I'm going to marry that guy, which is yeah. fantastic. So, look, dog shit. 22 million listeners for Brittany. Doesn't surprise me. 47 oh, cents for me. this on Spotify. Uh, K-Fed's lyrics were dog shit. What about the lyrics to this? <laughs> well, as, I mean, you know, we're talking a Swedish guy. There's a touch of English as a second language. Yep. Like you said, they thought, he claims to have thought, thought that Hit Me was slang for Call Me. Yep. Um, also, you've got... Oh, baby, baby, the reason I breathe is you. Boy, you got me blinded. And that's a bit weird, even for high school. <laughs> really. but, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's just think of it as Eurodance and, you know, you'll get through it. Absolutely. Look, yeah, this is a hit. Uh, I don't think anyone can deny that. Everyone knows this song, don't they? I can't imagine. You'd have to oh, be yeah. dead inside. That's to right. I didn't bother is, going too deep no, into it there. Exactly. Yeah. So, look, that's great. Nine weeks for Britney, as you mentioned. Up next... For seven weeks, so another lengthy appearance in the podcast, we have TLC with no scrubs. Now, Tom, what in the living fuck do these lyrics mean? <laughs> Can you tell me? Well, I didn't know at the time. No. I had no idea no, at the time. Neither did I. But, neither did I. Yeah. But look, I love TLC. Uh, don't get me wrong on that. A oh, scrub, it's a great song. It's a fantastic song. So apparently, Scrub. They're from Atlanta, TLC. Uh, yes. yep. So slang for a broke dude, can't get his shit together and always, you know, trying to hit on chicks and acting like yep. they're real cool and rad, but they're really just broke ass fuckwits, apparently. TLC don't want no broke ass dudes <laughs> hitting on them. 
Every time I hear this song, uh, I think of all the expression scrubs. I think of Window Licker by <laughs> Aphex Twin. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Oh, I sure am. You know the video, and it's got it starts off with those two dudes arguing in a car <laughs> for a very long time, yep. trying to pick up. <laughs> mm. One has this insane sort of center parted perm. And yeah, and they both. And the chicks are like, you'll fucking get out of here. Yeah. And then they'll <laughs> like, play your girl for real. <laughs> yeah. And just trying to hit on them. And his friend keeps saying, I don't give a fuck. And, <laughs> and they're just like, you better, you better get out of here. And they just seem to think, like, if they keep yelling at these girls from their parked car, exactly. it'll turn out well. And then so, they get hit by the limo, obviously. Yes, that, that song also came out about two months away from this song yeah so, yeah it's yeah, around that like, time if, if you haven't seen that video you absolutely 100% should there was put a the pe- link on there was it. a period of time uh, probably late 90s early 2000s where every single person that guest program Rage played either Window Liquor or Come, Come to, to Daddy. Daddy yeah but they are great video clips I think oh, I've, I've seen them a billion times so it's but yeah, yeah, they're both they're both very different video clips. One's quite funny, and the other one's yeah. quite scary. <laughs> Window Licker, it's kind of a parody of sort of '90s hip hop videos, and but I mean that's really underselling. Okay, just occasionally, you know, someone does a parody of something that's so astonishingly effective that you kind of wonder why the genre doesn't just go. All oh, right, let's just, let's reset just from implode, here. Yeah. We'll just not 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 implode. Not not that anyone would stop making hip hop videos, but just go. We've got to think of something new yeah. to do. We cannot just have dudes jizzing champagne <laughs> on each other on chicks in bikinis anymore. You know, but exactly. in real life, unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Otherwise, politicians would have to talk normally. But yeah, that'd yeah. be a great reset frequently. But there never is. I, I do wonder what happened to Chris Cunningham, though. I hope I hope he's doing something interesting. Yeah, he must be, isn't he? What's No, you don't know. He hasn't done much. He's done a few commercials and stuff, but, I mean, he should have been directing films and shit. Fuck, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he got a lucrative job in the advertising industry. I hope not. <laughs> I, hope <laughs> so I hope he's working on some long-game 30-year movie project. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They might be doing a KLF thing where they retire for 27 years and then come back with a book. <laughs> Call me a nerd. He nearly did a, he nearly did a film version of Neuromancer with William Gibson. Oh, yeah. They were working on it together, which for, if you're nerdy enough, that's one of the great lost movie projects like Jodorowsky's June or you yep. know, things of that nature. Anyway, that's enough about that, bollocks. Yeah, we'll move back, what to, about T- TLC? We'll back, back to TLC time. Yeah, so look, T-Boz, Lisa Left Eye Lopez and Chili. Chili took the lead Vox okay. on this song. Usually she didn't, but she took the lead Vox on this one for the first time. Obviously a huge hit. And look, talking about no scrubs, I don't want any scrubs. Yep. You know, I think that's fair enough. We know what a scrub is, some just fucking sure. annoying cunt. They say we don't want that, but that wasn't good enough, Tom. That wasn't good enough by Sporty Thieves. Okay. Some dog shit hip-hop group who just went, <laughs> no, we can't take this. So they hit back with a reply track. I love a lot okay. You know, everybody loves that when <laughs> yeah. someone, they feel like they've been, this isn't like, a di- someone does a diss track. Yep. Someone disses, and then someone who's been dissed comes back with a response. <laughs> yes. But in this, uh, you know, TLC aren't dissing sporty thieves. They're just no. dissing dickhead dudes in general. But sporty yep. thieves... Took it personally. Was, took it personally. They're obviously <laughs> fucking morons. So they hit back with a reply track called No Pigeon. Okay. It's fucking woeful. So it goes, A pigeon is a girl who be walking by my rimmed up blue, brand new sparkling five. Her feet hurt, so... You, does she want to ride? But she's fronting like she can't say hi. 
What? Okay. Dog shit. So. Oh, so this is about girls who want to get in your car. No, they won't. They, well, they've got sore feet from oh, working too okay. much, but they won't get in. So, um, your chicks ain't getting nutter. Your pussy ain't worth the ramada. Sure. Uh-oh. Anyway, your friend looks hotter. Uh-oh. Game is something that we got a lot of. So, <laughs> I can't believe that there's a diss track, to, like a response to this that is so woeful. Like, you'd feel embarrassed, wouldn't you? Like, someone's like, oh, you know that fucking no scrubs thing? Yeah, bro, we did this, you know, we did like a response track. Yeah. And then you tell your friends to listen to it and they're like, oh, bro, you probably should have just done nothing. That sucks. Because you're really so. marking yourself out as a scrub, aren't you? Yeah, you, well, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So saying, How I, dare you say that about scrubs, yeah, which is what which, I am. For sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm a piece of shit dude and I take, I take offense at you. <laughs> calling me out from that so look completely ridiculous look the music video for this is also great uh, looks like TLC have gone straight to the video shoot from a bondage rave 40 years in the future yeah. they've got some of the wackest outfits I've got no idea what's going on with any of those outfits any of the hair or any of the makeup I don't understand any of it yeah it's a weird one um, yeah there was well if you ever idly wondered why every hip hop video for the entire 90s was filmed inside a coloured box through a fisheye <laughs> lens with a singer yeah. in sunglasses reflecting a ring light and wardrobe from Magatu's Derelict collection. <laughs> that was a guy called Hype Williams um, who directed just more videos than you could count during yeah. the 90s. My personal fave is Buster Rhymes' Gimme Some More, which is a bit like a public sound safety announcement where Buster graphically illustrates the dangers of flip mode, a health condition that looks a lot like doing PCP in a children's playground while gigantic women twerk their asses at you. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, credit where credit's due, Buster Rhymes single-handedly prevented the flip mode epidemic of 99, and I think a lot of people overlook that they now. They do, absolutely you know, right, I think yeah. his music really overshadowed that. But the flip mode, yeah, yeah, you're right. He saved a lot of lives with that. And look, what happened to that fisheye lens? No, did, did they discontinue well, producing it or something? He's still working now, yeah. old hype, or he was until 2019 and yeah. so forth. I did check out his Wikipedia, and there's a fucking lot of music oh, yeah. videos it's, on It's mostly hip-hop, although he has done some rock stuff as well but yeah I think even he got sick of the fisheye lens in about 2005 <laughs> and stopped doing it yeah it was everywhere there for a while definitely. oh yeah but I mean he obviously was doing the clothes and stuff as well because there's a distinct vibe to these you know videos that yeah yeah absolutely so look uh, Left Eye Lopez R.I.P we do miss you oh yes Lisa yeah. Left Eye died in a car crash not I don't think too far past this song maybe what's it 99 maybe 2001 2002 yeah I think she was 32 or so yep so R.I.P you are missed but she did drop a sick rap in the middle of this she, she did al yeah. she always does a lot of raps in, in the TLC which is good uh, with the lyrics let's get the focus of the picture in front of me to get as clear as DVD on digital TV screens mm. can't get any clearer than that Tom you can't. there's no better <laughs> no better quality than DVD <laughs> no. on a TV screen so that's as clear as you're going to get so look it's interesting though that the vocal melody in Ed plagiarist Sheeran's 2017 hit Shape of You mm. bears much resemblance to the one used in this song Yes. So much so that Sheeran decided to add No Scrubs songwriters to the credits of Shape of You to avoid a lawsuit. So yeah. uh, that's not his first round rodeo. Sorry, his first no. the rodeo. He seems to just fucking add people all the time. It's like, holy shit, this song sounds exactly like that. And just to sort of like, I don't want to get sued. You just add the songwriters there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. are songwriters as well. I mean, in this instance, he probably thought he was safe from comparison. 
Because this song came out in 99, so mm. his demographic wouldn't have even been born for another decade. Plus the primary differentiator that whereas this is three black women singing a good song, <laughs> Shape of You is more like using a cake icer to squeeze cold dog shit into your ear canal. Yeah, it does suck. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, you know, I've, maybe in court he was thinking that that would protect him. Yeah, for sure. They're that different. They're so different because I'm a white dude and they're three black chicks. Um, and, yeah, good versus terrible. Yeah, you can't mm. even tell them. So, absolutely. But, yeah, look, it's it seems to be something that happens a lot and we'll probably talk about this in future podcasts where there is a lot of, oh, yeah, let's just add. So some of these songs, it's like, why are there 19 songwriters on this? It's yeah. because, oh, we didn't want to have a lawsuit. And that sounds exactly like that. Well, so it's just out of To there. be fair, that was the old rock and roll technique. Yeah, that's true. From back in the day when people would say, you know, like, if you led, new Led Zeppelin album came out and there's a song on it that's got a bit and it sounds just like your song yep. the, you know rather than actually paying the person any money you would just thank them in the liner notes you'd just say cheers to Davo for that guitar yeah. solo that I thirdly ripped off or whatever you exactly. know, and that was considered you know that was considered fair game whereas yeah yeah exactly look one thing I will say about Hype Williams sorry I should have mentioned this before that, but yeah he's got all those music videos mm-hmm. um, when he hands out his resume obviously you know someone's just like oh mate got a, I need to do a music video and then Hype comes in and is like oh yeah here's my resume and you flip through it does he cross out the R. Kelly ones now <laughs> sort of like just like going mm. like bump and grind is he like oh yeah. fucking hell that's got a whole new meaning now I'm uh, assuming you put the master tapes back in the closet <laughs> yeah no doubt you'd probably you'd cross those ones off um, you'd, you'd put snow in bold though. I think you'd bold <laughs> that up to sort of like pat it out because if you're sort of losing 10 R. Kelly's maybe mm. you increase the font from like 12 point to 14 or something bold up snow so it looks a bit more padded out <laughs> although this dude doesn't need to because he's got 200 uh, things there so look um, seven... Snow was lucky to fucking get this guy he wouldn't have been <laughs> I know. later on I can't Five believe I can't believe that he did so yeah look 7 million for TLC uh, oh man which is good 22 cents for this look I'm pouring one out right now for for Lisa yeah. Left Eye Lopez do you know why she was called Left Eye um no I don't actually Tom um when she started out late teens sort yep. of guy from New Edition who she was dating at the time said he liked her left eye better than her right eye because it was slightly more slanted yep so okay so one of the members of New Edition <laughs> yes it wasn't Bobby Brown was it <laughs> I like to it. Let's say yeah. it was. Either but that yeah. or one, Belle Biv or DeVoe. So <laughs> by the time of their first album, which was called On the TLC Tip, I think. Yep. So it's 1992, you're 21, you're called Left Eye and you want to draw attention to that. Yeah. Your band just had a hit album. It's 1992, so Safe Sex is the coolest thing out. Yep. Uh, how do you how do you draw attention to your Left Eye, Ben? Oh, I, I can't imagine how you would do that. What do you do? Well, what you do is you get a franger, yep. a condom, yep. and you put it into the lens of your left eye. So you now have of your glasses. Yeah, you wear your so glasses. So you yep. now have no depth perception, yep. and you've got a shiny condom in, in, inside your glasses. That's great. And you I'm mean, uh, guessing that was also at this time the band looked exactly like Girlfriend as well. Oh Everyone's just wearing knitted, flowery, giant hats. And she's and got she, a fucking condom. And she's got in a, a right? franger yeah. in one side of her eye. 
How many she years would go did on she do to do for <laughs> 20, 25 years? Not too long. No, no, <laughs> Not too long. <laughs> she went on to do other things like get her eyebrow pierced, wear a, do a line under her eye or whatever. But yeah, yeah, definitely. That was why. You would walk into, you know, like restaurants or like just a party. <laughs> be like, what the fuck have you got a condom in your left eye of your glasses? Oh, just trying to draw attention to it. For a while, I thought she had one eye. Yeah, like and because her eye would often be covered up, like she would have her hair down over her eye, or a you know discarded condom <laughs> poked in one eye, like a kind yeah. of rubbery monocle. Yeah. But instead, yeah, she had a perfectly normal eye. She just couldn't see anything because she had a condom in front of it. Yeah, so, look, yeah. It, was it still? It was still in the in the packet though. Or not I think so. Yeah, but it, but it wasn't it, just Bobby Brown had like <laughs> banged her and then flipped one and she went after it. I mean, that's just got. There's a very high chance of getting an eye infection. I think if you've just got Bobby Brown's used condom, you know, just mm. sort of in front of your mm, eye. I guess that so. can't be hygiene. No, it can't be at all. So look, uh, that's very that's a, that's an interesting fact, Tom. Enjoy that. Does what in terms of the lyrics? Do you think does no scrubs make more sense or less sense than don't go chasing waterfalls in the TLC? <laughs> sort of, you know, looking at their discography, both are great songs. I like them too. I think they make sense in the larger picture, but when you get into some of the smaller particulars, then maybe they make less sense. But I assume a lot of that is be, me being too white and too not from Atlanta to understand. Yeah, don't don't go chasing waterfalls. Terms. Stick to the rivers and the streams that you used to. So I, I get I get the overall vibe of don't dream too big or don't yeah but then they're they also seem like big dreamers themselves so are they sending the wrong message well, exactly that pops up again later on this year as well that same exact thing that you're talking about yeah in the j-lo jennifer lopez songs but um yeah i think don't go chasing waterfalls is one of those songs where people know what it means because the music video illustrates yep. like with like very literally with three sort of Pussy control style, three short stories <laughs> that illustrate the same theme over and over again. And so people know what it is. But I think if you only had the lyrics to go off, I'm not sure if I would pick up on the metaphor of what Chasing Waterfalls was. Whereas even if you don't know what scrubs are, by the end of the song, you've got a pretty good idea. But she actually. Hanging out the passenger side of his boyfriend's ride trying to holler at me I mean even white people can get that especially if you've lived in Launceston and you spent oh, yeah. half of your teens having someone yell fuck it out of a car yeah you. exactly look and and I think TLC were cognizant of the fact that people wouldn't understand because they do sort of you know I think the second line of the song is like a scrub is a guy as you said a yes, scrub is a guy literally that won't get so they sort of just go people get the record label are like do you reckon anyone's going to have any in fucking fact, idea what you're talking about and they're just like can you just put a can yeah. you put a line in that just says a, a scrub is like it's, a guy that won't get no love it's a dictionary definition yeah, yeah exactly it's, in fact not only is it, it's such a dictionary definition that she says they're also known as a buster yeah exactly so as well yeah. you're getting two definitions for the price of one you sort of yeah all she had to do was sort of put in there you know like adjective or something like that you yeah. know and sort of that <laughs> yeah. but yeah you do you get that number one you know one guy that won't get no love from me two buster and you're like yeah I know what's going <laughs> on right. so look they've, they've gone all out to make sure that people that don't understand can understand mm. and I respect that even if after listening to and I still sort of wasn't 100% sure what it was but uh, you know everyone knows that it's just a, a dickhead you can piece that together I yes. think so it could have just been called dick, dickheads yeah the kind of anybody who yells at anyone out of a car pretty much you're a yeah basically. that's true exactly exactly so look all good uh, apart from the rap apart from Lisa Left Eye Lopez's rap 
Oh, I what are the lyrical highlights for this? My highlights were her rap as well, oh, yeah. so I think we covered it pretty well. I yeah. liked Satisfy My Appetite with Something Spectacular, Check Your Vernacular, and I'll Get Back to You. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. That is good. I Definitely. think one of the reasons, uh, before after this album, but before she died, they had a bit of a falling out. I think they might have got back together again for they were going to work on something new, but I think she was getting annoyed with the other members of TLC because they would only let her rap. Yeah. songs like they kept so she would go off and do raps in other songs but even then when she worked with other people they only wanted her to do raps whereas she wanted to do backing vocals and sing and stuff as well so yep. yeah anyway yeah anyway Taken Too Soon I think uh, she yeah she no was it like, sucks she was I think she was young. like um, when she died she was like in Haiti or somewhere trying to like doing some charity thing yeah, or raising yeah. money she for something she crashed her car Yep. She might. I didn't, they didn't say whether it was alcohol or drug induced, but yeah, I think yep. she was. No, just I think unlucky. she. I think someone hit her. I think someone. Yeah, like swerved someone was into in the wrong yep. lane or something, and she yep. drove off. No, it sucks. It's bullshit. Absolutely. So that's sad. Uh, but look, we've always we've still got the music, Tom. We'll always have the music. Yeah. So we'll, yeah. In, until YouTube implodes, we'll always have that music video of them wearing some weird ass bondage <laughs> gear and then that that rap. So it's all good. Go check it out. I shall put it into the playlist. So check well, let's out. Let's do it. Cool. All right. Up next uh, for three weeks is Sixpence None the Richer, <laughs> Kiss Me. Now, Tom, Tom, you knew you were hot property if you were featured on the Dawson's Creek soundtrack. Is you that correct? sure did, yes. Although, I've got to admit, I... In my memory, that was the primary reason why this song was a big hit. Uh, yeah. But I think it was actually because was it was in a film first or something. Tom, it was. It featured in the Freddie Prince Jr. vehicle, She's All That. Yes. Uh, so yeah. I believe that that's what sort of projected this into the stratosphere. Uh, any young people out there who don't know what Freddie Prince Jr. is, he's sort <laughs> of, what, like fucking... Who, who's the modern day equivalent <sighs> Zach Efron, or is it not even? No, he's he's yeah, old now as well. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it'd be someone like Zach Efron, I yes. guess. A kind of a pretty boy. Although in the 90s, the pretty boys didn't have to look like they'd been training with the SAS for 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, look, we've talked about in previous episodes how Hollywood will remake fucking anything yeah. except for um, C. Thomas Howell as a soul man because, you know, we know that you can't blackface to get into university these days they won't let you do that but i have a feeling that this this type of film is this another film that they just won't let you make anymore and if if anyone doesn't know what she's all that is Um, you might not have seen this this but you would have seen a film that's the exact same fucking stories it's like a body swap film it's one of those things that's almost a genre unto themselves exactly so it's the jock in this film freddie prince jr who's dead you know, someone says, I dare you yep. to go and date the fucking nerdiest, least popular shit chick at school. But at the end, it turns out that once she takes her glasses off and brushes her hair, she's actually fucking hot as all shit. She's now, also hot as all shit before those Of two course she is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that just seems to be one of those things where, uh, look, in real yeah. life, that's not going to happen because no. it's just like, she's fucking smoking hot. It's just that she's a nerd. They recently did remake this. Did they? Just like this year, I think. I've seen the trailer for it. I was watching it via some other YouTube people that I like. And it looks... It's absolute bollocks, as you you can imagine. It's gender-swapped. Yep. Oh, of course. For good or bad. But yeah, I guess that makes it a bit... I mean, but even then, the gender-swapped version has been done before as well. That's not even a new idea. Mm. The girl who tried... I mean, that's fucking... That's what, like, Clueless is... that that idea of the girl trying to remake the 
Is that Clues? Oh, look, there's heaps of films where the chick tries. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Trying someone try to remake someone into you know it's a, yeah it's such a it's such an obvious yeah. thing and, and yeah and the gender swap. <laughs> What makes it even more annoying in this one is, again, the guy's hot. He's got like a beanie on yeah. and a wig. So he takes the wig and the beanie off and suddenly he's attractive. Yeah. And um, the girl, the girl, her job is she's an influencer. Oh, in the like, modern one. Yeah, great. Jesus, just, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> look, I've got no time for that. But look, I've got more time for the original Tom because it's a great ending because what happens is the jock ends up falling. Freddie Prince Jr., the jock... He falls in love with her. Oh even, my you know, god! Because it's like holy shit. But one, she was so she, fugly one, when she, she took, had that hat she on. She just took the took the hat off, took oh. the glasses off, and she was fucking smoking. So he falls in love with her, but then she finds out, Tom, that it was a bet. Oh, she finds yes. out that. So she's like, oh, the, the you know the, the this quarterback. Be exactly two thirds of the way through yep. the film, by any I chance. I think so. <laughs> Wait for the third act, though, Tom. So, oh my god, holy shit! Yeah, it's a bet. So she's all like, oh, I thought you really, really liked me, but then it was a bet, and. But then he wins her back. Uh, has he, he's the coolest guy in school. So he's sort of like, even though sure. the fact that she finds out that the only reason he went out with in the first place is because of a bet. That's yeah. okay. That's okay. So what happens is the film ends in this very spectacular note. So Freddie Prince Jr. So he adheres to the terms of the bet. So what happens is that, you know, they end up falling in love anyway. And she's like, oh, forget that. That's okay. We can yep. still be together. So the terms of the bet are that he hits the stage at graduation nude. Okay. Uh, okay. That was the bet. If he if he ends up falling in love with a chick or something who's unlovable, except that she's very, you know, attractive yeah. and that's so good, he has to go on stage nude. So he goes up there with um, he, just his mortarboard on, mm-hmm. a soccer ball in front of his nuts. Uh, then he goes up on stage, and then at the end of the film, he throws the soccer ball away. Okay. And his new girlfriend, who was the nerd before, she captures the ball and just like laughs, like ha 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 ha. The whole school can see my boyfriend's cock, and then that's roll credits, that. and that's yeah. the fucking end of it. Not many people saw She's All That Too, which was about <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr., aged 43, returning to normal life after spending 25 years in jail for exposing himself to a thousand children. Yeah, that's true. Will he get his job back at Blockbuster? Oh, Will his Aryan so. Nation face tattoo stop him from banging Stifler's mum? Yeah, exactly. Look, I mean, these, you know. good questions. That's a film I can't wait to see, so that'll be good. And they'll tie that into this... Um, uh, he's all that reboot. Oh, it's part well, of the so. he, he's all that universe now. Yeah, exactly. So look, that film's dog shit. Um, <laughs> don't know. I, I just don't. I can't see Hollywood saying, "Yeah, let's make a film where someone only dates someone." But oh no, it's the basic idea will never go away. Yeah. Like the body swap thing, it's never going anywhere. No, all no. the fucking god, the newest one is the Groundhog Day thing. Like oh, yeah. they just oh my god. Except they used to take a while. There'd be five years between these films. Now it's about three weeks. I think someone's them. just said, oh, it's okay to be in a time loop. Time loop's a whole genre now, so it's just... Yeah, apparently, loops, so. yeah. Yeah, look, absolutely. So anyway. look, anyway, so moving on to the song itself, we've talked we've talked way too much about Freddie sure. Prince Jr. and She's All That, but it is one of my favourite films of all time, as I mentioned. Sixpence None the Richer, they are an alternative Christian rock group. So straight off the bat, you know this is going to be dog shit. Is that a fair term? <laughs> as a genre... Is there anything worse than Christian uh, music, <laughs> generally? Well, look, let's face it, Ben, you love DC Talk. I do love okay. DC Talk, yeah, exactly. So. I mean, Christian music, can, it goes across all genres. Yeah, it does. As long as they're 
traditionally profitable in the mainstream industry and there's money to be made by getting American Christians to buy it. Yeah, exactly. Especially American Christians whose parents would not allow them to listen to the mainstream <laughs> non-Christian version, which is still going, by the way, in case you think the internet might have, you know... Yeah. My mum used to get these catalogues when we were... So after I stopped going to church, but while she would get, like, this Christian junk mail, basically, yeah. and she would have Christian music catalogues, and they were exactly like those ones that you used to get from, yeah. like, those, you know, the ones where you'd send away, you'd get two free albums, yeah. and then you, and you could, like, scan them for a month before they would, you know, and they'd just have a list of music. It was like that, except it was all Christian. Yeah. And, right, down to the designs of the album covers, you could see, and you'd go, oh, that looks a bit like Pearl Jam. And then you'd read the description, and that'd be called, you know, Ruby, you know toast or something and then the album would be called nine yeah. and then it would be about this seattle christian band about you know finding the love of jesus on the streets <laughs> so it looks like eddie Vedder, but he's wearing a headband with a cross on it and stuff it was just every genre was covered every single genre you could think of yeah it's like any currently fashionable thing there was a christian version of it of course yeah Whereas, you're right it was just an inferior product to appeal to people <laughs> that weren't allowed to listen yes. to the blasphemous yeah. yeah and down to things like death metal and oh, hip-hop yeah, and stuff you know gangster rap like dc talk you know they were from the streets. Yep, definitely. You know? <laughs> By the comparison to that, I personally reckon Sixpence None the Richer or 6P, as us fans call them, were actually pretty cool. Uh, the lead singer eventually basically uh, sort of gave up on the, the traditional Christian scene yep. because she was sick of having to justify her existence and the lyrics and not being sanctimonious enough. This is the trade-off. You get to make a lot of money playing to a Christian fan base who are locked into you and will not deviate yep. but the price is a heavy one being you know like would you want to be a rock star if you had to go to church every Sunday write no. songs about telling kids not to bone before marriage never take drugs never mention gay people under any circumstances and also nobody would take you the slightest bit seriously who wasn't a Christian yeah. you know outside of that world it's a, it's a heavy price to pay and I think a lot of them eventually just go fuck it I'm not doing interviews with you twats anymore I'm not asking any more fucking questions about who I'm married to or whatever I might do occasional Christian lyrics and I might play at Christian venues sometimes, but I'm not going to be part of this kind of insular world anymore. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And by the standards of that, I reckon, yeah. I listened to her. Lee Nash is her name, and she seemed pretty cool. I heard an interview with her. And I also really like her voice in this, if you'll forgive me. It's a bit smoky, but it's perfect for a song about teenage love, I reckon, oh, yeah. which is what this is. And she does it without using any sort of 90s catchphrases. There's no affected country bullshit. And she's not trying to sound hip or cool either. It's just a very earnest sort of song. But that's what kind of makes it work, especially for shit like She's All That and Dawson's Creek. Like, it's trying to sound like first love before you've gone all craggy and cynical. But without, she manages to pull it off without sounding sort of cute or twee either I reckon I think it's just on the right side of twee but yeah, hey look, maybe uh, I might be biased because of my love for Dawson and his awesome creek that he hung out at look Tom I think in terms of uh, the Dawson's Creek soundtrack this <laughs> is a couple of notches above Sean Mullen's lullaby I will say that uh, which is one of the worst songs say, of the 90s I, so. I would also put this a couple of notches above the Dawson's Creek theme song theme as well song, which I'm yeah. not a huge fan yeah, of yeah I don't either. want to wait yeah exactly so look um, I don't know the complete track listing of the Dawson's Creek soundtrack but this is probably one of the best songs on there uh, look. I think so to the extent that I think some people remember this as the Dawson's Creek theme song 
if, oh, you, if you yeah. mention Dawson's Creek and you go, oh, remember that soundtrack? Some people will start going. Some half of them will go, I don't want to wait, and the other half will go, Kiss Me, because they remember that. You know. Yeah, Kiss Me is the first track on this. Well, so you, so you know they've started yeah. off with a good one. They've got Sophie B. Hawkins um, <laughs> with Lose Your Way. Uh, Chantel Kravazuk feels like home. Fuck no, so that is Shooter. Life's a bitch. I don't know who those guys are. Shooter from Shooter McGavin. Yeah, yep. ready for a fall. PJ Olsen. Stay you by Wood. <laughs> this is worse than I can remember. <laughs> Nikki Hassman. Sean Mullins. Shimmer. Sorry, he didn't even do oh, lullaby on this rock-a-boy. one. Rockaby. Lullaby. Uh, Heather Nova. Curtis Steegers. Sozzy. Adam Cohen. Oh, Jessica Simpson. Bewitched. Oh, Fuck God, soap and then Paula Ab- uh, Paula Cole, <laughs> sorry, Paula Abdul with the I don't want to wait theme. So look, yeah, this is think, definitely one of the better songs on yeah. there. A lot of the rest are on there uh, I've not heard, so they sound total piss. In yes. the style of what was that other? Oh, in the style of the Titanic, that was so successful that they released a second, like <laughs> yeah. a, more music from Dawson's Back to Creek Dawson's later. Creek. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. With even yeah. more hits. So, so look, by the standards of that, I reckon this is pretty good. It's for very sure. very simple, but it, I reckon it works for what it is. Yeah, that's this, that's just my opinion. I'm a big so who fucking knows? Oh, look, that's fine, Tom. This was the most played radio song in 1999 in yeah, 11 I countries. Yeah, so Canada, USA, Australia, Japan, and Israel. So 1999, this was the biggest song. There you go, which is great. In the video clip, one of the dudes <laughs> in Sixpence None the Richer is holding it. Sitting, they're sitting on a bench. He's holding a TV. And not like a fucking flat screen, like an old school tube CMT, TV. Probably yeah. weighs about 50 kilos. And he's sitting on a park bench holding this TV, watching Sixpence None the Richer play live, somehow warping time and space in the process. It's the video. He's yeah. watching his watching. The yeah, it's so weird. And it's, it's such a boring video. It is yeah. literally just the band sitting on a park bench. That's it. Nothing else happens. They just kind of half sing, sort of half play the song. They look uncomfortable, like their shoulders are squashed. That's yep. it. That's the full video. Yeah, look, I was expecting at least, you know, some into a bit of pacey clips uh, or something. I thought you know? pa- they'd have Jen throwing up outside that party yep. when she nearly double teamed those guys. You know, yeah, that had happened. That would happen. Dawson's iMac. Um, Dawson you know, crying to, to, in the in boat, motion, going yeah. over the river, something like that. <laughs> Little Joey Potter, you know, like hanging out doing something. But none of that shit. No. So maybe some twerking. Oh, from and like six by seven the way, shit. too, lead singer, who's the only uh, female yep. personage woman in the band because I'm saying female that sounds so dumb she's got that fucking haircut she she's does, got yeah. that raggedy Ann <laughs> scruffy punk ball cut thing she may well. have been in the Believe video Tom she perhaps, may have actually been perhaps in there, so. so but I do like her voice I think it's a cool voice now look if you're wondering about the name Sixpence None the Richer it comes from a C.S. Lewis book called Mere Christianity a little boy asks his father if he can get a sixpence okay mm-hmm. a very small amount of English currency in use at the time to go and get a gift for his father okay. the father gladly accepts accepts the gift and he's really happy with it but also realises that he's not any richer for the transaction. Because oh, so, he, he gave his kid he the gave money the kid to buy the money the and then got it back. Park. Exactly. C.S. Lewis was comparing that to his belief in God that God had given him, sorry. The gift that we possess and serve him the way we should, we should do it humbly, realising how we got the gifts in the first place. What the fuck is C.S. Lewis talking about? Mm, I don't know, but I'm guessing he wasn't a big Death Row Records fan. Oh, big Puff Daddy list. Uh, yeah, probably not. But that's all right. <laughs> I mean, I I get the first half, but yep. I'm not entirely sure how it relates to 
God-given. That's the problem with Christianity, Tom. It's stupid because what happens is you take something like that where it's like, yes, the dad gives him the money, the kid gives him something, and he's like, I'm no richer. But also, you're wrong on that front, Dad, because your kid, you've, you've given the kid the money, but they've gone out and selected something themselves yes. that you wouldn't have got. So isn't the getting getting a gift, getting something that you, the surprise, the joy of having your kid. Yes. Kids, in, you know, if your kid is out earning money, then that's fucking wrong because you've sent him into the mines at age four to earn his own money to buy you a gift, then there's an issue with that in itself. Aren't so. you, A, wealthy in the sense that you have a loving son in the first place yeah, and exactly. B, a loving son who gives enough of a fuck about you to go and buy you presents? If my son said, can I have five bucks, I'll go buy you a present, I'd be like, of course you can. I, you know, I don't care what it is. It's the thought that counts. Fantastic. So look, there you go. And then they try and tie it into a belief in God, which completely yeah. loses me. It's always that stuff. It's always like, oh yeah, you know, I had a really good burrito today and it's like, oh well, you know, the Lord, you know, mm. it's God sort of, he's given us these burrito-less gifts and it's like, maybe, I, think, I don't know. Ironically, I, I think that that is hitting on a problem at the heart of Christian pop music in general. Yep. Which is that half of it is about going out into the streets and freaking out the squares, Homer Simpson style, with your outrageous love for the J-man, mm. you know, let your light shine, <laughs> show the world... And the other half is about how you're a worthless sack of crap and you should be at home praying to God not to dump on your face yep. because you don't deserve anything. <laughs> yeah. That's why I kind of like this, by comparison, this is just a love song with no agenda. Like, it really is. If you didn't know that they were a Christian band, you wouldn't know no, you wouldn't. Christian. No, you really. wouldn't. Exactly. No, exactly. And that's what I respect about that. So, uh, four million people are still... Cranking okay, the Sixpence and the Richer it's on impressive. Spotify. They did keep going for a while. They yep. broke up. I think in the early aughts, and I, but then I think they got back together again. Yeah, and yeah. But she's—they were never as big as this. This was as big as they got. They had a couple of follow-up songs, but yeah. they did a cover of uh, "There She Goes." Oh there yeah, that was again. that was a minor hit. Yeah. Forty-two cents for this. Tom, what are the lyrical highlights of this? Um, well, as I said, it is pretty—it's um, pretty earnest and sort of cutesy. But yeah. Uh, it's. I think it's fairly unaffected. Again, maybe I'm just. Maybe I'm biased. Kiss me down by the broken tree house. Swing me upon its hanging tire. Bring your flowered hat. We'll take the trail marked on your father's map. Which is just about. It's just about sort of dorky and unaffected. You like your first love sort of thing. You know when you're just obsessed with each other, but you don't have any money or anything, and you all live in the same place where you grew up. Still, it's not like you're in some cool location. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, but I think the best romantic gestures are earnest. You know, that's what I reckon anyway. Mind you, women find me about as irresistible as a heavily discounted CD copy of Sixpence None the Richer. <laughs> so maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree here. Perhaps <laughs> the best romantic gestures are lavish and expensive, <laughs> have nothing to do with tire swings. Yeah, yeah, look, Tom. Look, we don't often disagree on this podcast, but look, is is that is that the best sort of? Um, do you really want your dad to hand draw a map and say, this is, you know, go finger it down there under the, you know, whatever? I was so assuming that... it was, you, the dad was one of those boring types of dudes who has maps pinned up on the wall, like a big framed oh, map of Tasmania and that so sort of shit. I'd just take it, the dad has like drawn up Yeah, that map would be and creepy. It's like, and then it's just like, there you go, go banger over Hey, look, I'm not, I'm not saying it's the best song in the world, I'm just saying like, I, I, it's probably my favourite Dawson's Creek song, to damn something with faint breeze. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favourite song off the Dawson's Creek soundtrack. Yeah, look, that might be faint praise, Tom, but it is nevertheless true because, yeah, it's better than the Sean Mullins one, so, which I thought was that fucking 
fucking lullaby Rockabye, going. Yeah, Rockabye, yeah, that's the only Sean Mullins song it's, I it's, know. A, it's, it's a Sean Mullins song that isn't that, which I can only imagine is fucking woeful. <laughs> so anyway, look, moving on from Six Months None the Richer, three weeks of that. Up next is Jennifer Lopez, J-Lo, uh, If You Had My Love. And yeah. for three weeks of power, fantastic. Now... This is J-Lo's debut single, straight to number one. Yeah, so, uh, look, a lot of other top ten hits. She's had just a fuck ton. Waiting for Tonight, Let's Get Loud, Love Don't Cost a Thing, uh, I'm Real, all of those ones. But uh, Jenny from the Block hit number one when she teamed up uh, with... Sorry, what am I saying? Oh, you're saying Jenny from the Block's one of her other... Hits, but she oh, yeah. hit number one again. Again, sorry, when she teamed up with Pitbull. Ah, uh, yes. so that's the story. For, sorry, I, <laughs> I lost. Worldwide. I lost my train of thought there. But yeah, so there's a lot of other top ten hits, but um, yeah, this is her first number one, and we will talk about her and Pitbull one day in the yeah. future. Exciting times ahead. Look forward I to was that. A bit sad about this. Yep. Not not it's not not in the immediate aftermath of this song, but in the year that followed, because I first saw her in. Soderbergh's Out of Sight yep. which came out the year before and in which she's amazing like I think that was only like the second film or something she'd done I think yep. or very little and there's she is so good in that have you seen that? That's so I great. have yes I low key reckon that's a better Elmore Leonard adaptation than Jackie Brown I think it's just I think it just works better for all of Tarantino's fan base there's so much underplayed chemistry with her and Clooney and I just assumed that she was an up and coming actress who was gonna you know take the world by storm and you know instead she clearly obviously after this it sort of turned out oh no she really wants to be a pop star more than acting and when she did go back to acting she was appearing in shit like Made in Manhattan (laughs) with old bum Cheaton McGee but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention Made in Manhattan, sort of like, uh, but you're absolutely right. Sort of, I think, um, and you see this with a lot of performers. Where so take someone like your Keanu, Keanu Reeves, so uh, or even you know uh, River Phoenix, someone like that yeah. in the nineties, where it's sort of people that are sort of or Johnny Depp, even where yeah. musicians, where act, you know, they're sort of dabbling in both worlds. Then one of them takes off. And then fortunately, because the music was fucking woeful, <laughs> they sort of put the music to yeah. a side and it's only for nights it's at like the a Viper hobby. Room yeah. where fucking, oh, Keanu's playing with The Edge or some shit. And then everyone yeah. goes, this is dog shit, but we won't say it's terrible because we're at the Viper Room and everyone's going, ah, we're on drugs. But J-Lo did the opposite where she sort of went, well, I'm going to run both careers parallel. And as yeah, we learned with or Will even Smith, leaning more into yeah. the yeah, I mean, by comparison to those people you just mentioned, like what I mean is, as soon as this came out, you could see you could see even just from the promo, the promotion and the PR and the videos and stuff yep. and the album covers, oh, this is not just some tossed off thing that she's doing on the side. Yes, this is like this has been thoroughly planned and thought through. Like this is clearly the thrust of her sort of career. Why would like, I do sort of indie-ish films or when I or not yeah. even indie, but like smaller films? Yeah, or when why would I, I could... be a B-list actress when I could be an A-list pop star? Exactly. And even then... though to me, I would have thought. Being a B-list actress, you probably make nearly as much money, and it'd be a fuckload less work, surely. Yeah, exactly right, for <laughs> sure. But then she had that. She had yeah. the acting. She went in to do, yeah, as you said, Made in Manhattan and a lot of other things. So she still had that Hollywood cash. Oh yeah, totally. Don't so get me wrong. And may, maybe that was just an unusually lucky 
break with that film. Maybe that just perfectly suited her style. Yeah, but also I guess with the pop career, if this song hadn't have been a hit and a few singles yeah. mightn't have been a hit, she, she might have just said, Anaconda said, oh, 2, yeah. Anaconda 3, <laughs> exactly. Anaconda 4, Anaconda exactly. in the New York sewage system, yep. All Anaconda of 5 in space, yeah. with, Anaconda yeah. 6. Yeah, down Under, I think they'd, they'd, yeah, they'd do a Down Under <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, maybe a Mars one, sort of like Vin Diesel when he went to Mars in that Chronicles of Riddick bullshit. So yeah, look, uh, the video for this <laughs> is is completely insane. It's it starts nineteen ninety nine as it's yeah. possible to get. I think. Look, at, the video starts with a dude searching for Jennifer Lopez using like web crawler or some fucking mm. pre Google yeah. internet search engine on Netscape Navigator. Yep, where I think he's, he's t- running one of those Macs from last year where the resolution's <laughs> about two hundred by two fifty. Yeah, it's it's pixelated as fuck. Um, the, the words, it's crazy, and he's taken to Jennifer Lopez online. Mm. Um, um, which appears to just be a gateway to our OnlyFans account, like or whatever the, the like. It seems it's one of those. It really looks like it's sort of you get to that. You get to. It's not sort of you get to an artist website. It's like oh, here's my discography and you know maybe a T-shirt you can buy. Here's my bio. Here's some history or whatever. Yeah. It's effectively just nine ninety nine a month <laughs> to sort of yeah. pay and In watch. Those days, your OnlyFans account was just your yeah. website. That's yeah, right. it's it's it looks like and everything sort of, else. It was also your Instagram and your Facebooks yeah. and your where you bought the tickets for your show and yeah. everything else. So he gets onto JLo.com and she's just in her house with just cameras everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the dude is completely wanking in this. Oh, like this 100%. Like a, there's a shot where it's just like, there is no way that dude oh, isn't wanking no in this. No way. He's, we're not, he's not sitting in front of a computer in the office. He's sitting in the dark on the sofa with the keyboard over his lap. Yep. He's 100% jacking in. Exactly right. <laughs> Do you and, reckon, could, could this possibly be the first pop video that features... Fans watching the singer on uh, the we- on their website. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's the first one I can think of off the top of my head. Anyway, the thing is, no one would do this these days because it. I mean, it's just everyday life. But it seemed like in 1999, it was just there's this new thing called the internet. Yeah. If we can get that into a music video, look how <laughs> cool and amazing it is. Whereas if I made a music video today of just you know watching someone on a computer screen. Um, that I was paying nine ninety nine per month or whatever. People would just be like, I don't know, dude, that's sort of pretty weird. So, yeah. And it doesn't help that, you know, the dude's just sitting in the room. As you said, it's a darker room wanking. It doesn't help that the lyrics are, if you had my love, would you come for me? I mean, that just sort of like tips it over the edge into, oh, yeah, this is definitely a wank anthem. So, look, and at the end of the, at the, end of the video, the dude checks out J-Lo in the shower. Yep. And uh, so do several other dudes. So it's just basically... <laughs> we, it's not, we don't just see one dude. We see many dudes yeah. Oh, yeah, watching yeah. her in the dark on there's, the computer. There's two, dudes the work, there's two dudes working in a fucking <laughs> auto repair shop that just somehow have Wi-Fi. I don't even think it existed back then. But yeah, there's a dude... Yeah, so sort of just sitting there. Repairing cars have got their laptop in the corner. I don't even think that that technology existed at the time. Hanging out there watching J-Lo in the shower... And after that, a car just catches fire spontaneously, just sort of explodes as if watching J-Lo on a computer screen just leads to a car just Mm. burning. And they ignore it because they're so transfixed by just a kind of neck up shot of J-Lo with Exactly. And then for no apparent reason, someone throws an iMac into a pool, product placement alert, there you go. (laughs) So probably the one that Dawson bought. The same one, it was the G3, the blue one. 
Exactly. So um, that video completely batshit, <laughs> but I love it's sort of it's almost like that sort of uh, last week where we talked about George Michael and being able to stream video on a fax machine. It was sort of that bold vision <laughs> of the future that that sort of didn't quite come off, but then weirdly, twenty years on. That's just what the, you know, the internet yeah, is effectively, no. anyone can set up a camera, anyone can watch anyone else that they so choose. It just, it isn't J-Lo, it isn't pop stars, it is just someone in a room, yeah, you know, you that's know, right. sort of in St. Petersburg or something, it's dressed up as a cat. It's kind of artificial metaphor of, you know, what it would be like if a real person was trapped in the internet surrounded by cameras, but... You know, the idea that in 20 years' time, people would voluntarily fill up their house with cameras connected to the internet, you know, even people who weren't running OnlyFans accounts and so forth would have seemed very strange, but, you know, so yeah... Like you say, it's kind of dorky, but weirdly prescient in some ways. Oh, exactly. How much would you pay for a J-Lo um, live oh. house stream? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm asking today, oh, only 99. How, no, 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 only just for this. What that dude was watching. If oh. you could go to J-Lo's website, just yeah. watch her cooking breakfast, you know, taking a well, dump, I watching TV. When I was 20, I probably would have paid nine ninety nine. Because no, no, I definitely month, yeah. had a crush on J-Lo back then. Yep. These days... Uh, I'm not on anyone's OnlyFans account, so I yeah. guess probably a zero. <laughs> yeah, probably zero for me as well. I don't think I'd pay anything for there. But, you know, look, it's all good. Um, if you're listening to this song and thinking it sounds a little bit like a Destiny's Child song, it was written by the dude who wrote the song Say My Name. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's sort of, as you mentioned before, that some of the things sort of... Yeah. Know, oh, that sounds a bit like that. And it's like, why does J-Lo sound like Destiny? It was like, it's, it's the person behind the scenes. As a first single, I reckon it owes a lot to Gloria Estefan as well, oh, who yeah. was making kind of a comeback at this point. Like, she was big in the sort of 80s, but then she had a bit of a sort of late 90s comeback. Mm. But she's not on... I don't think she's number one in any of these, but she had a sort of dance comeback. And this... I reckon this does owe something to her as well, in complete with a weird gear change into a sort of Latin (laughs) jazz fusion (laughs) breakdown thing. Like like about... So it goes normal... Destiny's Child for two minutes then you've got about 45 seconds of this kind of weird samba fusion thing so she can dance around a bit then it just goes back to Destiny's Child again yeah it's I thought strange. I'd accidentally bumped my mouse yeah, and it's gone to a different song <laughs> and as well. it looks different and her outfit changes as well it just kind of goes you know yeah yeah. Exactly. But this is, and sort of, as we mentioned with last week, there was Ricky Martin, and now there's this. It sort of brought in a whole sort of, um, I guess, what, Latino fever, I guess. Sort of, there was yeah, a lot of songs it was in this sort of style. At the time. So, absolutely. So, look, pretty good. Uh, she's a triple threat, Tom. Uh, not only has she had several big hits such as this, which is a banger, but she starred in films, as you mentioned, Anaconda Made in Manhattan, and she can dance as well. So she's got sure. so many strings to that bow, which is pretty good. Interestingly, the Dark Child remix of uh, If You Had My Love, released along with a radio edit on this song, mm. is an early use of auto-tune as a vocal effect. Wow, so it really was the it was, it was that. So the software, um, as we mentioned before, you know, used for to correcting pitch, etc., etc. And it was particularly handy for singers like Lopez, who weren't classically trained or very experienced. So apparently J-Lo used a lot of the auto-tune because she wasn't the strongest singer. Oh, okay. But yeah, when a young rapper... <laughs> named T-Pain heard the remix so T-Pain's launch into the world of autotune wasn't as mm. many would think from Sure's Believe it was actually from this song so T-Pain heard the remix he went on a mission oh looking for the effect so that he could use it himself and it took him over a year 
to figure out that it was auto-tuned. So apparently he was going on to sort of like um, <laughs> torrent sites or whatever the sure. fuck they had back then, just getting as much cracked software as he could, mm-hmm. anything, and then he'd plug it, like he'd try and use yep. it, but not that one, not that one, not that one. Kept on going and going and going until he found the auto-tune. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned before, Tom, when we were talking about Believe, so secretive because singers didn't want the public to know about it and neither did the producers or publicity teams. So T-Pain put the effect all over his first solo album, Rapper Turnt Sanger, Mm. uh, in 2005 and yeah, opened the floodgates. So double double auto-tune in this thing. But yeah, I just thought, as we mentioned auto-tune earlier, I just thought I'd want to point out that this song is is almost direct well the remix is almost directly responsible rapper for, turned singer eh? Right? Yep, not for, sure if for he that. qualifies on either camp, rapper Frankie. turned singer yep so look Tom look I think it would be remiss of us to not mention this but <laughs> looks like as of earlier in 2021 J-Lo and Ben Affleck are dating again, which is some of the most exciting news I've heard for some time. Hey, maybe it'll work out, you know, second time's a charm. I'm sure the tabloids will totally leave them alone this time and let them have a normal relationship. Hey, maybe Kevin Smith can put a bit in Silent Bob and Jay finally fuck or whatever he's working on at the moment. Yeah, what were they in? What was that one? They were in Jersey Girl. Jersey Jersey Girl Girl and... Oh, that wasn't Kevin Smith. It just felt like it was. Yeah, no, they were in Jersey Girl. Well, hopefully they'll make a Jersey Girl 2. Hopefully mm-hmm. uh, she'll be in the Batman. Is he in that? No, he's, he's, not, no, he's not Batman anymore. Oh, no, we're on to our 36th Batman. 36th Batman. That's a shame. I'd love to see him back. So, yeah, look, great. This is pretty good. I, I actually quite like this one. It was It's pretty enjoyable for me, personally. Yeah, but I think it's more fun than a lot of the stuff you yeah. did later on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was some bullshit in there. I think I read a lot of them out at the top. Like you Gen- say, it really just sounds like a Destiny's Child song. Yeah. So if you like Destiny's Child, which DLC, I do, then you Absolutely. Yeah, Destiny's Child. Um, a lot of people don't know this. They're the math core of, um, <laughs> of pop songs. Some of those time signatures are all over the fucking place. So <laughs> okay. massive respect for Destiny's Child. But yeah, look, you're right. This is better than sort of... Uh, you know, especially Jenny from the block. Yeah, that was yeah. bullshit. She's getting into trying to be hip hop and, and stuff. And I'm real. I'm real. Yeah, I like to let's get loud. Oh like yeah, that's her, fun. Her Latin Latin influence stuff more. I think it's Waiting more for fun. tonight. It works for me as well. Party so it's all exactly. So 19 million fucking Christ on a God bike. That's a lot of people. People love J Lo. 23 cents for this. Lyrics, there must be some great shit in this. Well, clearly it's J-Lo laying down the rules for a prospective partner. Yep. You know, if you want my love, you can't lie to me, cheat on me, this better be serious. Uh, at one point she says, you said that we could possibly spend eternity. See, that's what you told me, that's what you said. But if you want me, you have to be fulfilling all my dreams. Yep. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think that both of these people just have unrealistic expectations, Ben, frankly. Yes. I mean, if you think he might be full of shit because he says he wants to spend possibly eternity with you, I'd say you're probably right, Yeah. frankly. But by the same token, if you're looking for a man who can fulfill all your dreams, then you've obviously set your fucking standards too high. Ben Affleck couldn't fulfill all of her dreams in real life, and he drove the fucking Batmobile. Yeah, that's true. You know? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if the writer was really thinking ahead on that one, but, yeah. you know, hey. Exactly. It's, I like that Sher song. It's not particularly good lyrics, but it is at least kind of self-affirming, you know. It's, it's, it's not, you're not pining. You're saying, look, i got standards, bitch, if you want to go out with me. 
Lifted game. Indeed. Look, but you know, I think that's fair enough. So J Lo, she's that lasting influence of feminism that the Spice Girls influenced. <laughs> I know? think so, girl. If they hadn't is... invented feminism like two well, they... years ago. Then. Yeah, exactly right. I think that's you're absolutely correct. Girl power, feminism. You know, if it wasn't invented, yeah, late nineties, then we wouldn't be where we are today. So sure. people, someone had to pave the way, and then someone like J Lo had to sort of build on that original pavement and sort of create the layers of uh, feminism. So thank you, J Lo. All right, next up is Pearl Jam with Last Kiss. Now, I don't even know what the fuck this is. It was written by Wayne Cochran, who I hope is Tom Cochran's dad, and Pearl Jam covered it for the No Boundaries compilation, which benefited refugees in Kosovo. Now, this is a cover, and it's their only number one hit, so effectively Pearl Jam are Alien Ant Farm. Oh yeah, they never quite made it to number one. They didn't. They didn't. So they are. They. That's slightly more complicated than that. But yeah, I mean, no, no, no. no. no, I'm not saying they're not uh, the you know alien ant farm. They effectively they're the alien (laughs) ant farm of grunge. But yeah, anyway, go go. It it. was the original song was recorded in '61, then '63 and '64 by Wayne Cochran and a couple of other people. Uh, teen tragedy songs were really big back then. This is a yeah. teen tragedy song, if you don't know. They were the screamo of the day, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like Leader of the Pack, Tell Laura I Love Her, and Teen Angel, which is about a chick getting run over by a train <laughs> trying to get her boyfriend's <laughs> class ring back. So I hope that $5 aluminium <laughs> ring was worth it. <laughs> Reasons why these songs were popular have been mulled over in the time since. Like yep. su- Some people have suggested that in the pre-flower power world, they represented a sort of rebellion and escape from parental control through death, uh-huh. or that there were <laughs> there were a huge number of tragic accidents involving rock stars around that time. That was the big bopper's plane went oh, down, but a whole bunch of other people as well. James Dean died as well. It's the, it's the era that American Pie was written about. Yeah. Uh, no, not American Pie. <laughs> um, um, yeah. The American film, pie. yeah, <laughs> no, not, not the, the film, <laughs> not the film about fucking dessert. Uh, the, film, the film about the day the music died. Uh, the the, the yeah. song about the day the music died. Jesus Christ, Don Lean, Don Lean, Don Henley, no, Don McLean's American <laughs> Pie. Other people have said that teenagers are all dickheads who think going face first through a windscreen and will be romantic as long as the Smiths are playing when it happens. Yeah, but yeah, um, Eddie Vedder found. Uh, this on some vinyl single in an old record shop and they did a cover for their fan club it was unreleased but some DJ got hold of it and started playing it eventually the record company pushed them to release it and they were so huge at the time in general that this went to number two in the US and Canada and number one here so then they gave the profits to that Kosovo thing of their single That's but very yeah. good yeah. as you say it is weird to think that this was their only number one in Australia because they were like such a soundtrack for being a teenager in the 90s whether and, you wanted them to be or not and like, this is also 90 this is also 99 mm, like, yes, you've got to so remember Pearl Jam like they've been yeah. rocking they're active for sort of 10 years now so that yeah. they were you know, I, I assume that... Um, They're tailing off, people thought, by now, you know. Exactly, exactly. So, look, uh, so, yeah, you're right. A lot of history to this song in terms of the original version. The big four of grunge, Tom, we've talked about the big four of... Well, we didn't invent <laughs> the big four of, of thrash. thrash. That's obviously, you know, people have, have been speaking about that. Megadeth, thrash, Slayer... Metallica, mm-hmm. Anthrax. We invented the big four of Eurodance. They copied that uh, from you, yes. Which I've, I've actually forgotten who they are, <laughs> but I think it was Two Unlimited, La Bouche, Culture Beat, and... The Real McCoy. And The Real McCoy, yeah, of course. So I think they're the big four. So the big four of grunge, and by grunge I mean the original yep. 
Seattle yeah. grunge crew. The big four, uh, for me, I think it's pretty obvious. Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, and Pearl Jam. Yeah. I think they're I the big four. I couldn't they're the big four. Now, this might be controversial, Tom. Were Pearl Jam the worst <laughs> of the big four grunge bands? Are they the anthrax of grunge? <laughs> or... Am I sort of ste- stepping on some toes Look, here? I'm not a good enough judge of music to to be able to tell you really. They they're probably my least favorite. The the one I listen to the least. Yes, correct. Now of them, although I listen to them a lot of the time, and it's easy, and they were huge too. They they were probably at this time they were definitely the most popular out of all of them. Like Alison Chains had tailed off Soundgarden were doing different things. Nirvana obviously had come to a screeching halt. Yep. And like even even when Kurt Cobain killed himself, like Pearl Jam were at that time they were much bigger than Nirvana. Nirvana resurged massively because that happened, obviously in the public consciousness anyway. But, oh, look. Yeah. Hey, look. I, I I don't know. I can't tell you, man. But I know a lot of people don't don't like Bill Jam. Uh, look, I think they're dog shit. Um, <laughs> You'd be one of those people. Sure. I think, and and the reason for me is, and look, I think musically, uh, the other the other. Here's the thing, I think. When you look at the other bands that were big at the time, um, as we mentioned, those big four, and some and some of the other lesser sort of known yep. bands as well in the Seattle scene, they certainly had what I consider bands that were influenced by Black Sabbath. Yep. So you get sort of a, a sort of, you know, grungier, heavier, darker sort of guitar sound and just songs yep. in general sort of combine sort of that punkish, DIY attitude with a bit of that sort of stuff and what I got and and I'm a big Black Sabbath fan I always have been um, and I sort of think that the bands Alice in Chains and Soundgarden particularly Nirvana I think on Bleach as well were inspired by those bands who in turn were were probably sort of inspired well the Melvins I think Mm -hmm. if we take a step back were sort of very inspired by that sort of you know tune your guitars low sort of play slow and heavy sort of Vibe and that went on to influence some of the other bands, yeah, like Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Pearl Jam didn't have that, I don't think. I think they sort of had a, probably a different array of influences, yeah. some different stuff happening, which just wasn't my cup of tea. So I think that it just they weren't really a band that was sort of in my lane. But the reason I say that they're the worst four of the big grunge bands is because those Eddie Vedder vocals, <laughs> they are. For me, unlistenable. I can't handle them. And it inspired not only a whole generation of mm. shitty high school bands that when I was in high school at the time, I had to listen to dudes going, oh, fuck, I can't sing, but I can get out there and just go, but it has inspired a million dog shit bands that continue to this day where dudes that cannot sing just jump up there and just go, can you tell me Like, and it's fucked and I hate it and I'm putting it squarely on the shoulders of Eddie Vedder. Look, hats off to the man. He's the last man standing in that big four. Mm. The other three dudes are all dead. Lane Staley, (laughs) you know, obviously Kurt Cobain, Chris Cannell, they're all gone. So he's the last one standing. So good on him for that. But at the same time, you've ruined music forever. Look, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to put my foot down here. Just 
on the sense that, we, we, as we've already said, I think, or at least I said, okay. anyway, <laughs> you can't blame a band for the people that they influence. Yeah. You can blame them for plagiarism. You can blame them for getting 15-year-olds pregnant. You can maybe blame them for getting people crushed to death at their concerts if they get on stage and you know, everybody run to the front and fuck each other up. But you can't blame Eddie Vedder for Nickelback, I don't think. And I, and I also think, like, that... I mean, I know what you mean. His, his voice verges on... Sometimes it verges on him doing a voice instead of sort of singing, but... I think it's all him doing a voice, isn't it? Or did, no well, one gets up and is going... Oh, but I mean, it's... Yeah, what I mean is, I guess it's a start, like a question of whether where the line is between someone doing a style of singing and someone just doing a voice. You know, like, the difference between, like, when British and Australian singers sing in an American accent... Oh, yeah. ...just to sound more poppy. But then some of them take that a step further and it's like they're doing an American singer's voice that they've heard, that they like. Like, they're just doing an imitation. Like, there's there's a line where... Yeah, I'm not sure. But but I think... I had a friend of mine who was a singer at the time. He re- he also really liked Chris Cornell as well. Yeah, um, and he's a better he, singer. He said... Chris Connell was an amazing singer, yeah, for sure. But he liked Eddie Vedder because he said what a lot of people copied later on was the grungy singing, which was the sort of more distorted, that sort of nickelback, that kind of growl, that sort of, if I sound like this, I sound more macho. He said, he doesn't sound like that. On the first two albums, at least, he has, his voice is all clean tone. Like, it's all clean notes. It's not sort of distortion. Like you say, they had a less, they had a less raw sound than a lot of those other bands. They were a bit more, not poppy, but they were more sort of, radio friendly I guess you could yeah. say but yeah but I mean he, he just had an interesting voice I think and also uh, Cheeks thought he was rad too for whatever oh that's no worth. doubt I mean they thought Kurt Cobain was rad too don't get me wrong but Kurt Cobain looked like a fashion model <laughs> frankly yeah <laughs> yeah whereas the rest of them were kind of fairly normal looking Lane Staley wasn't going to be on any 14 year old girls teen beat uh, posters, I don't think. Well, outside of the grunge year, anyway. But, possibly. Yeah. Hey, possibly. look, look. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm saying, you know, I. I don't know. And I. And I don't listen to them much. I haven't listened to ten for years. But um, yeah. Yeah. Look, I just think that musically, they're probably for me, and this is just my own personal taste. They were the least interesting musically, and then vocally, um, couldn't handle it at all at the sure, time. Sure. I couldn't handle it, and now I think. It's it's even worse oh, than a I, lot I can of, even a remember. A lot of dickheads so, copied that yeah, style. Don't get me wrong. For sure. Yeah. But you listen to, say, for example, you put on Alice in Chains' Wood. You go listen to that song now, and it it's as good as today as it was when it was yeah. released. Lane Staley's voice is great. It's a great song. Very catchy, but sort of darkish as well. Very, very good song. I like that a lot. And yeah, all that sort of Soundgarden stuff from around that era, you know, whether it's sort of Bad Motorfinger, you know, or <laughs> Super Unknown, both good albums. They're using a lot of weird time signatures, a lot of different tunings. Uh, Chris Cornell is a lot better singer. So all those things I found quite interesting at the time, and I still like them now. But yeah, probably, I don't know. I, yeah, you, but you're absolutely right, though. I shouldn't be shitting on Eddie Vedder for Creed, you know what I mean? Or Nickelback. No, no. It's, it's basically <laughs> but like I mean, saying... You're totally fine to not like his voice. I know a lot of people find it eminently mockable like don't uh, get yeah. me wrong yeah no it's, it's <laughs> but, the worst but yeah it's, it's, yeah the fact that the fact that Nickelback can't you can't blame him for Nickelback like because it's effectively blaming um, Rage Against the Machine for you know Fred Durst you know it's effectively yeah, exactly. doing like that dude he's 
rapping and there's rock guitars, so therefore he created that. So yeah, absolutely. So look, uh, 11 million. So a lot of people, you know, people, yeah. a lot more people, you know, like, like you them. say, I mean, they're still they basically they've moved into dad rock now territory, but oh, they're still yeah. putting in albums and stuff. Yeah, and I mean, once good. you're around for thirty years, you sort of have to, I guess. That's what yeah. you got to do. So look, a lot a lot of people do enjoy them. Eleven million. So those people probably disagree with my hot take that his voice is terrible, but that's okay. A <laughs> uh, dollar. This is going to cost you wow. a full dollar. Yeah. Well, I mean. D- was it a single? Yep. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, it did eventually yeah, it get released. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're yeah. right. But so. it wasn't, like you say, this was out of range of their, yep. their original. Now, yeah. Tom, have you got some lyrical highlights? Is it about a car crash? <laughs> <laughs> there must be some lyrical It no. is, yes. Uh, as as they're really, as Tim especially would indicate, Eddie Vedder is definitely a fan of sort of morbid, not morbid, but like dark sounding themes and stuff I, that, my first impression of that album when I was a teenager was I can't believe how depressing this album is yeah. you know, I, didn't, I didn't really understand why people would like it but anyway I was trying to think what would have attracted to him to listening to this song back then and I think maybe it's possibly because it's, this is almost comically morbid like he, he gives it to you straight but I, I suspect that he might have thought this was slightly funny as well it gets yep. straight into it. Uh, it's this is the first line is we were out on a date in my daddy's car. We hadn't driven very far. There in the road, straight up ahead, a car was stalled. The engine was dead. I couldn't stop, so I swerved to the right. I'll never forget the sound that night: screaming tires, busting glass, the painful scream that I heard last. Uh, so yep. verse number two is he wakes up in the rain, covered in blood, holds his dying girlfriend's head in his hands. Might be attached, might not. And they have one last kiss before she dies. Doesn't mention if he follows through. What do you think? Maybe you could write a B-side about, you know, what happens immediately after That's that. true, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, like, this was de rigueur for those teenage songs, you know. They didn't write long songs back in those days. We're talking two-minute pops. They've got two-minute songs to talk about a horrible tragedy involving violent death. Tongue-kissing <laughs> a severed head, Tom. Yeah, it's... it's, it's so- yeah, people talk about how you know unsavory music is these days, but I think back then it's yeah. sort of just as you know, no one's. Well, it was slightly controversial. That Teen Angel song that was they wouldn't play that on some radio stations because they said it was too sad. Yep. But I think what they really meant was crazily morbid and yep. sort of like not literally violent. But even then, you know, like for a 1961 song, he talks about waking up covered in blood. Yep. He talks about hearing this, this girlfriend scream as she goes through the windscreen. Yeah. That's rough, absolutely. So look, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'll ever need to listen to that song ever again. Oh, hell the no, original no. or the Pearl Jam one. So uh, yeah. Again, the other thing I would say with that one, that, as I mentioned before, you can't really blame them for this. No. I, I put this on the, no. the mm, I'll use the mm, 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 mm principle again, which is that you can't blame someone for having an annoying number one hit when you can tell for 100% certainty that they never expected it to be Oh, a number one hit. Exactly. They had no intention no. that this was going to be a big hit. Well, as you mentioned, you know, the band didn't even really want to release. It was no, just recorded it was for, for a compilation. Club. It was yeah. like an yeah. online thing. Exactly. Get, you know. Yeah, the fan club. Yep, yeah, that's right. You sign up to the fan club and you get like mm. sent a record in the mail every year. Or and then like probably that. the charity said, "Look, have you got anything? Any bits lying of bombs around. lying around? No, as yeah. long as it says Pearl Jam, that'll add. That'll yeah. double the sales." About. I remember so that, do that it came out in like a cardboard sleeve, like it was so like environmentally friendly and stuff that it was in like a. 
exactly. like a corrugated cardboard sleeve. Yep. Anyway. Now, just before we leave this, I think uh, Pearl Jam is probably our, the best bet that we have for trying to speak very, very quickly about um, the Seattle scene. Type, oh, sure. The grunge. Yep. Now, the quintessential grunge song, or the one that I guess that sort of brought it to the mainstream, would have been um, when Nirvana released to, Smells Like Teen Spirit, correct? Yes. There's sort of a line in the sand where that song came out, then everyone knew what this new Seattle yes. sound was. It was like, I think even the, Southern Cross Nightly News was like, yeah. what is this grunge? There's, and then you could buy a sub-pop label. So sub you would yeah. see people wearing sub-pop t-shirts and any record on sub-pop was just exactly. went through the roof. So it went completely ballistic for a few years there in the early 90s. Um, with Smells Like Teen Spirit, are they some of the worst lyrics <laughs> that have ever been written that people just sort of give a pass to because it's sort of, you know, what's the chorus? A mosquito, an albino, yeah. Look, I spent dozens of drunk at parties singing along to Milk It. I still have no idea what the lyrics of Look, Milk It are. I... Like, what the fuck is he saying in the chorus of Milk It? The thing is, Tom, that I think that because at the time I was quite young and didn't really think about it, I just, I just sort of, you know, I was like, they sort of got a part. Like Nirvana seemed to get a pass because they were the biggest band in the world. Well, Everyone, I think, when you were a certain age, everybody yeah. seemed to like Nirvana, uh, and then you just sort of went, yeah, yeah, great, and yeah. then you sort of look back in hindsight and just like going. Yeah, maybe those lyrics were a I bit think, shit. I so. think part of the re- there were a bunch of things in the Seattle stuff that in the grunge thing that were a reaction to things that had come before them. There were a whole bunch of weird shit that that seems normal now, but at the time, like compared if you compared it to like the popular music of the time and the glam metal that had come before yeah. them, things that you don't even think of now, like having single word song titles. Yep. Like if on on ten, like every song is just one. One word. one word. Uh, 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 Alice in Chains, like their songs would just be one word titles. And the word wouldn't be in the chorus yep. of the song. So you would you would you would go you would walk around going, What's that fucking song? And then the, you would find out it was called SPAC or something. It's like, that's <laughs> not even you didn't even say that in the song. Why is yep. it called SPAC? And, yeah, shit like that. And another one was having obtuse lyrics that were sort of, you know, like purposefully kind of tangential Yep. You know, a little bit abstract lyrics. Like Pearl Jam's lyrics made more sense than most, but even then they would write crazy shit like Yellow Lead Bear and stuff. And Kurt Cobain openly said, I just I usually just make up the lyrics to fit the music yep. like at the time. So it just it's more about the lyrics are kind of like punctuation for what's happening in the song. Absolutely. Look, the so, lyrics yeah. to Smells Like Teen Spirit I think are objectively terrible, but I do <laughs> I do like his body of work in general because it's my, a mosquito my lobino. And then how low, how low, how low, how low. It's good, good stuff. Love it. He's a a genius. It's good, yeah. But I do like them because they were just sort of a bit, yeah, wacky, I guess. So so I probably can't really talk. I can't really criticize other lyrics now that I've sort of admitted that. (laughs) That's fine. So absolutely. But look, um, interestingly, Tom, in 1991, nobody. Seattle as a place people were like where the fuck is that no one really knew about it and now I think when people think about that they probably think grunge Starbucks Microsoft 
Probably those things, <laughs> maybe in that order. Bill Gates, I think, lives there. So oh, yeah, Starbucks, of course. And Starbucks, yeah, all from Seattle. But the thing is that what it demonstrated was at the time was that you didn't have to be from Los Angeles or New York. Traditionally, it was basically that, wasn't it? It was like, yep. you're from LA, you're from the LA Strip, this is where rock comes from, or you're from New York, you're doing your own thing there. Seattle proved that you could have a whole scene that became internationally famous just off the back of a handful of bands in a sort of a very local scene with a yep. record label that promoted them. Where is the next Seattle going to come from, Tom? We used to have this discussion sometimes, you yep. know, like, I think the problem is that that what made Seattle so cool, what you're talking about is that you have an isolated melting pot. Yes. So things can percolate and intermingle and you get this incestuous thing where all the musicians exchange stuff with each other, bands and people do weird stuff. Like Seattle, like, you know, uniquely at the time, seemingly started doing homemade vinyl that became a cool thing to do because it was this way you could it was this way you could cheaply mass produce stuff because CDs then back then were more expensive to like burning a whole bunch of CDs to give out would be too much and cassettes sound like shit so they went we'll get some old fucking vinyl machines and then there were these little they would do small print run vinyls which gave everything this coolness factor so but I think now with the internet yes nowhere would be as you couldn't get that melting pot effect because things would be too out in the world you know to to to, to develop under a rock that way there's yeah. no we're away from the big scenes so no. we're not so yeah you're in LA and all the bands are like oh Motley Crue's popular gun let's try and sound like that whereas sort of yep. you're off in a corner somewhere where you don't hear that stuff but yeah you're right with the internet you can listen to anything that's ever existed yes. at any time immediately and you can be influenced by other stuff yep. and yeah yeah no you're exactly right. so what you're saying Tom if I understand is that the next Seattle will be burning is that correct mm. on the launch the, the jewel of the northwest the coast of North Tasmania. West of Tasmania, I reckon. Absolutely. So, look, intense hemorrhage have set the sort Devon of stage Port. back then. So, <laughs> there's going to be a new generation <laughs> coming out. So, there's going to be another, there's going to be a grunge explosion coming out of Bernie 2023 to 2024, <laughs> I predict. It won't be exactly like it'll grunge, it'll be a new thing. It'll be something, mm. it'll take some of the seeds of grunge, new, put them through an intense storm. hemorrhage filter, and then we'll get something <laughs> else coming out the back there. So that's pretty good. So there we go. Um, that's Pearl Jam. Anything else to mention, Tom? Oh, I was just going to say, if for some reason you haven't heard enough about fucking grunge from all us increasingly aged <laughs> Generation X's, there's uh, a really good doco called Hype, which is about... Um, the grunge scene at the time. Yeah. Oh, I, I just I was reminded of it because the tagline was uh, "Your town could be next." Oh, and yeah. It's it's as much about the bands as it is about what it's like to live in a town, an isolated town, which suddenly becomes the cultural apex of the world for six months. Yeah. To the extent there's one scene where there's this lady who works for this small record company, and she said I was getting I was getting daily phone calls from news services around the world asking me about the Seattle sound and what it was and who it meant and all this stuff. She's not like a journalist or anything yeah. like that. She's just like a receptionist. She said, oh. I ran out of stuff to say after like weeks I just started making shit up I just started telling them about buzzwords that I'd heard <laughs> and, and fashion but because I legitimately couldn't think of anything else to tell them at all and also uh, last year there's a really cool doco called Pretend We're Dead which is about L7 oh, cool. and that is about the kind of less publicised 
uh, fact thing of being a rock band that neither gets rich and famous often sunset pearl jam style or explosively ends nirvana style which is about being popular for a decade less popular for another decade and then gradually just <laughs> basically just going off back to a normal life after that which is a not that often covered aspect yeah, of absolutely. being that's a cool. band. um did they employ the spice girls girl power mantra for l7 <laughs> is that what sort of kept them ticking along for a while so they sort of they looked at spice girls and went girl power is going to get us through hey, so they were right girl they, they were, were right, right. right girl power ripping off I Absolutely. loved Girl 7 at the time oh, I great very good um, what about singles has anyone ever seen that's one of those films that uh, uh, yeah that was a proto oh, it's got a grunge soundtrack but there's nothing grunge about no, the no. shitty romantic comedy yep. I stretch it the word comedy is doing a fuckload of heavy lifting there <laughs> one of those films that a lot of people own the soundtrack but hadn't actually seen the film because yes. it was terrible and also it wasn't quite Hollywood's attempt to you know, hackers style create a subculture. Yeah. Thing, but yeah. Who is it? Oh, fuck, that's going to um, me. I just watched a podcast on it. It's an early film by, um, what's his name? <laughs> Who's in it? Like Matt Dillon? It's Cameron Crowe. Cameron The guy Crow, who went yeah. off to do almost Russell Crowe's dad, yeah. We Bought a Zoo, so. etc. Other great film. Good, good. All right, we've touched on grunge. We've done that. We've, we've, we're... Sure. 99, we're at the end of the decade, sure. so we had to try and touch on know, that for a bit. I know Apologies you weren't a big fan of that, but let's move on to something that you are a big well, fan of. Well, I'm a massive fan of this next one, Tom. It is Lou Bega, Mumbo number five. Bracket, a little bit of A little dot, bit dot, of dot, 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 dot. Now, Tom, is Germany the spiritual home of the Mambo? Oh, people have said that, Ben. Look, I think it is. Like he's, Lou Beggar's from, from Munich, and I feel like <laughs> if I ever get the chance, Tom, to go on an international trip where I want to explore the music that I love, mm-hmm. grunge, obviously, just, we'll go, I'll be flying straight <laughs> to Seattle, getting a st- big, big fucking foaming cup of litre Starbucks, mm-hmm. one of those things, knocking back that latte and go, actually, I'll get like some sort of frappuccino <laughs> or some bullshit, drink that down, go, oh, where did Nirvana used to play? And they'll be like, it's all been bulldozed because <laughs> build apartments I'll be like oh fuck that stop two on the plane straight to Germany because mm-hmm. I want to learn about the Mambo sure. I think uh, and that's <laughs> that's where I'd go I wouldn't go to Cuba I would skip Cuba I'd fucking hate those communists I would go straight to Munich and say mm. show me where Lou Bega put together not only Mambo number five a little bit of but then the, the album which I think was called a little bit of Mambo or something like God that almighty. so absolutely so look this is a great track because I respect this guy. What he's done is he's taken uh, an old instrumental track from 1949. Mm-hmm. He's just found that probably, you know, on uh, whatever. What did they have in 99 before Spotify? He's <laughs> probably just downloaded it off, you know, fucking Napster or something. Yahoo Music or something like that. He's got it off LimeWire. He's got it off LimeWire. And then he's taken that instrumental song that's existed and then he's just said a heap of names over the top. A little bit of Samantha, a little bit of Monica, a little bit of Tina, a little bit of Chanel, a little bit of Jane and he's just done that over and over again and people have just lost their fucking minds over that and it's gone to number one for a million years eight weeks here Tom but spare a thought for our French listeners hi everyone there that's listening in Paris or uh, wherever the other places in France are I can't do some (laughs) I can't list them all can't list them all but to our French friends apologies these guys this was number one for 20 fucking weeks oh my god it's like almost half a year you poor bastard Jesus Christ unless you didn't like the memo (laughs) or even if you did frankly I was going to look up the Lou Bega story but I thought I'd look up 
the, who actually did the yeah. Real song. What can you tell me about the the OG Tom uh, Perez Prado wrote the original. He was a Cuban band leader, uh, composer, musician, and he popularized the mambo worldwide in the fifties as yep. a musical form with international hits like Mambo Number no. Five, Mambo Number no. Eight, and Cherry Pink. Yep. Don't know what happened to one, two, three, four, six, or seven. <laughs> I'm assuming they got lost along the way, but he. Yeah, no, he was they were he was huge in the fifties and sixties. He really only uh, came to an end when other musical genres sort of uh, supplanted him. But yeah, and he was enormously popular. Uh, he, he lived in Cuba for a while and Mexico and America for a bit too. So wait, 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 wait. He wasn't from Munich. He's he was been, not from Munich. He's never been no, Munich I'm afraid to say he wasn't from Munich. He did have a moustache, yeah, okay. if that means anything. But yeah, the the the, the voice you can hear. In this going like rah, is his. that's him. He he would do that in his songs. Like sometimes he's yelling like it's like Mexican, it's like Cuban for like get it or take it or something like that. He's sort of you know. So he was like a he was very energetic at the time. In the, you know, so the only fifty five, he's rocking out. The know, only good part of the song, the rah, is yeah, not even Lou Bega. No, Sam that's him. Oh, and the actual music as well. The <laughs> yeah, part of the music. yeah, for sure. So, and that's what's great about this. It isn't really sampled as just sort of wholesale. I'm just going to yes. say shit over a different. Over it does also song. contain another sample, which is from "Insane in the Brain" by Cypress Hill. <laughs> bizarrely <laughs> enough, does it's it? just a little sort of noise that's in it. It repeats really? through it. It's very subtle. It's one of those ones, but yeah, it's in there. And there's Fucking and there's man. one other little bit in it. It's like a little whistle or something. So like be that. real from Cyprus just gets <laughs> gets like a writing credit on this, does he or something? I'm, I'm kind so. of amazed because I would have thought everything in a Cypress Hill song would have been sampled from something else. <laughs> yeah, except true. for the bit where he's talking about smoking the bomb smoke and the bomb in some yeah, guy exactly. in the car park. Yep. Anyway. Exactly right. Um yeah, for sure I think so. So what what did the fuck did Lou Bega cheese singles do after this? Oh uh, look so the follow up Tom to this was a song called I've Got a Girl. Uh which okay. sounds exact it's exactly the same as this fucking song, except instead of doing female names he's just doing place names so uh, instead of a little bit of Monique a little bit of Tina a little bit of you know Chanel whatever the fuck it's like I got a girl in Paris oh. a girl in Rome a girl in you know Prague a girl in you know Millennium Dome exactly so just right. lists place names <laughs> uh, and look no mention of if he's got a girl in the jewel of the northwest coast of Tasmania Bernie as we mentioned previously <laughs> where the next grunge scene will be but one assumes that he does now listen to this Tom I remember watching mm. Hey Hey It's Saturday in 1999 oh, sorry now, about that if you go to a psychiatrist they've got drugs <laughs> that can help with that. but interestingly Daryl Summers who usually was just the sort of very Hey, here's this song, isn't it great? Clapping yep. along, sort of dude. Uh, he even said when they played, "I've, I've got a girl." Yeah. Even Daryl Summers, who's the usual, won't say a bad thing about anyone, just went, "Oh, they should have just called it Mambo Number Six. It sounds exactly the same." So <laughs> it even does sound exactly the same. It does. It is when exactly the same. When you heard those lyrics, same. I found myself thinking, "I thought they were in Mambo Number No, five. exactly. I think I actually thought that was the same song. So yeah. if Daryl Summers is giving a shit, it must yeah. be fucking garb. That's right. Hot garbage for sure. Yeah. But listen, Tom, as we know, uh, the cover's always better than the original, and he does <laughs> cover Karma Chameleon from Boy George that we spoke about earlier on this podcast. Poor so he, he does a Karma Chameleon cover on his little bit of 80s album. So you know he does the th- a little bit, a little bit of Mambo, a oh little bit of 80s through that. Uh, and look, I actually didn't listen to it. I didn't bother listening to it, but one can assume that it... 
you know, as we've said, the cover's always better than the original. There always is an exception, but I yeah. gather that the exception makes the rule. And in this case, there's <laughs> no way that Lou Baker doing a mamboed up version of Karma Chameleon no. could be better than the original. So, but yeah, look, Tom, back to his, as you mentioned, you talked about what he did post Mambo number no. five, pre Mambo number no. five. He formed a hip hop group when he was 13. Released an album when he was 15. Okay. And he went by the name back then of Mo DK. Okay. Mo DK. Don't know what if that means something. I'm not sure. But uh, he's featured on a single by a German band called ART. Art. Wow. Called I Need You. And Lou Beger rapping is every bit as harrowing as it sounds. So <laughs> imagine a 15-year-old Lou Beger just doing some wow. bullshit rap work. And that's what you're going to get with that. Now... <laughs> this is almost I'm possibly thinking that maybe Lou Bega got a rap career in Germany the same way that uh, the actors with the gold masks in um, the Squid Game got roles in a HBO series <laughs> being in a foreign country where there aren't a lot of other people around who Just can went, do the thing can, that <laughs> can you be a white person that can't act well yes I can can you be a black guy in our song please yeah exactly so look Sorry, uh, obviously so We've got 99, we've got Lou Baker doing Mambo Number no. 5, we've got uh, the follow-up single, which sucked, which as we talked about. But then, he has a bit of a break, Tom, he's still releasing music that no mm. one gives a flying shit about. And then in 2019, well, what he did was, mm. he released a song called Scat Man and Hat Man. <sighs> now, this is Boy. completely fucking bizarre. Yeah, but look, this is a, a, I'm using the invert, I'm using air quotes here, Tom. It's a new Lou Baker song where the chorus is just... Scatman John doing the Scatman beat up up but up bow. He's just got that. He's just taken that part and then he's written a new song around that mm. and then he's just inserted that as the chorus. Now, listen, obviously we know Scatman and Hatman is the name of the song. Scatman yep. is obviously Scatman John, yep. but the Hatman has anyone at any time, anywhere, ever called Lou Baker the Hatman? The hat I man, fucking no, doubt it. The twat man. The twat certainly. man, certainly. So he's taking on this moniker. He's declared himself the hat man. And look, he's inspired to create the track because this is also completely bizarre. But look, <laughs> what happened was that he said Scatman John died the same year that Mambo Number no. 5 was released. He never even met him, mm. but they're both from Germany. Mm. He oh, said, we Jean found situation. out how much Scatman John and I had in common. <laughs> he died of a brain tumour in 1999. My own father died of a brain tumor in 1999 as well, just four weeks before Mambo Number no. Five came out. And then, of course, we both wore suits and we had mustaches. So mm. Lou Baker just went off the back of some guy I've never met before, who died the same year as my dad died, mm. who had a mustache. It's free range to go on and do this. So listen, Tom, I'm going to tell you what's happened, okay? This is, what, this is what's, what's going on. Lou Baker's career at present in the year 2021, probably a little bit before that, I, saw, I remember uh, seeing something called So Pop or So Fresh, one of those, you know, package tour yeah, concerts yeah. where they get 10 one-hit yeah. wonders, they fly them around the world and go, Two hey, songs each. Exactly yeah. right. Two songs each. You go to this thing. So you might show up. Lou Baker's going to perform. You're going to get bewitched. You're going to get that sort of bullshit. Snow might pop up. 
Yep. You might get um, some D tier Euro beats like Ice MC, <laughs> something Club like 7. that, S Club 7. So they package these guys up and they'll do like an 80s one, they'll do a 90s yep. one or whatever. So Lou Baker's career at present is just playing six minute sets at the best <laughs> of the 90s events. And by that I mean they get him up, he probably just does Mambo number five, and then they say, see you later, Lou Baker. Now, I don't really know how these things work in terms of remuneration i don't really understand you know the logistics behind how they get everyone out here how they pay them but i gather that the participants in these sort of things are paid on the basis of how long they perform Mm. so if you've got three hits you play your three hits (laughs) you get a certain paycheck if you've got two hits you get a bit less one hit you get a little bit less money now lou baker only has one hit so I gather they let him play for six minutes and he gets six <laughs> minutes worth of remuneration. Lou Bega, obviously, he's given up on writing any new songs of quality because no one gives a <laughs> flying fuck about them. But what his thought is, what if I can try and crowbar another hit yep. into my six-minute set <laughs> so I can pad that out to ten minutes, I can play two hits, I'll get double the money and therefore I can do this for the next ten years That'll cover the mortgage. I'm good to go. I need a second here. So what he's done is he's taken the legacy of Scatman John, produced that other hit, and then here we are today where he goes out and performs Mambo number five, and then here's another... Remember, B-Butter-Butter-Butter, uh, Scatman yes. of the Hat. He's going to do that. Everyone's like, well, I didn't know this was Lou Baker, so it's fucking not, no. but he's stolen that thing. So the question is, what would Scatman John think? Do you think he would want Lou Baker to be doing... Do, do you think that he... If he had a choice, would say, I want Lou Baker to do this, or do you think he'd be like choosing, you know, another German music icon? I'm thinking, you know, like your Captain Jacks, your Culture Beat, your LaBouche, someone like that, because he didn't get a say in this because he was dead. And I think what we need to talk about, Tom, is that our politicians were debating things, you know, like religious freedom and pandemic laws, but what about legislation that provides better protection for one hit wonder artists? to pass on their songs to other people once that they're dead. Because I know that if I was a one-hit mm. wonder, when I die, I want you know some money to keep on coming in yeah. to go to my kids so that they can live a better life. So I think that we need to look at getting a way that you can pass on your one-hits to whoever you choose. Maybe in your will, you mm. write down, Scatman John can just go, number one, I want this to go to snow. <laughs> if Snow rejects it, Ice MC. If sure. Ice MC rejects it, Labouche, etc., etc. Then when Lou Baker dies, mm. you know you've got his will. You've got obviously the executor phoning up and going, "Hey, Ice MC, mm. Lou Baker wants to leave you, you know, Mambo Number Five. Great. Yeah. And he takes it on. In this case, I it would mean- be, I want to leave you, you know, Scatman John. Everyone goes fantastic. I think that would be a better way to do it because in many ways. I think Scatman's, you know, I love that song. I'm the Scatman, beat up, butter, butter, butter. But when Lou Baker does it, it loses its value. Oh, my God. What do you think? Well, I think you might be right in the sense of passing things on because perhaps Scatman John didn't leave any Scatman family behind him, any (laughs) little Scatman running around. Because, Jesus fucking Christ, if I was the estate of the deceased Scatman John... I'd be calling AB Logic right now and asking oh. if they still had the phone number of the hitman <laughs> because fucking hell, this is just taking a dump on his grave. This it's not even it's not even the the good grace of like a remix. No. It's just that that song makes this sound like Mozart 
And this makes fucking Mambo number five sound like Mozart. This yep. it's just atrocious. It's fucking apart from anything else, like you say, it's this long past auto-tune being either popularly used or I mean it's still used, but you know what I mean. Ironically, non-ironically used. It's the the whole thing is auto-tune. Like he doesn't even half sing None. like he does in Mambo number five. He just kind of mumbles through auto-tune nonsense lyrics over a beat that he got from someone else and then the chorus the one good thing about it is just lifted straight out of Scatman John. oh exactly and his image too they've used his image of him seeing it as well exactly. so in between that you've got this twat wearing a suit and a hat dancing around with some you know stock photo ladies that they got from a website oh man yeah Ooh, look boy Lou Bega has taken a shit on the legacy mm. of Scatman John, and I will not stand for it. So <laughs> I'm boycotting Lou Baker forever. <laughs> unless, Tom, unless Lou will answer my calls because I do have an idea for a new reality TV show. Mm-hmm. It's called Baker's Boys. <laughs> and what happens is Lou Baker, he sure. buys a house, a dilapidated house. Mm-hmm. He is from Munich, but maybe we can move, to, move this to Berlin. Going to the old East Berlin, he gets a rundown house from the communist era. Uh, he gets 20, 30 guys to move into the house. Mm-hmm. They renovate the house, sort of a little bit of block style. Mm-hmm. They cook meals for each other. And then they also perform. Each week, Lou comes in. He votes out who he thinks is the shittest person in there. That goes on for four, five, six months, however long it goes. At the end of that... Lou's got a fully renovated house he can flip. <laughs> Vanilla Rice has proven that flipping houses can be quite profitable. Mm-hmm. He does that. And then the five guys left in the house uh, form a boy band that then Lou Baker mentors. Sure. So I With think that could work. depth of musical experience exactly that right. from crapping on over other people's songs. Absolutely. And I'd like to see that. I, I think that Lou Baker would be a great mentor for a boy band. Plus, we get to sort of combine the elements of all my favourite reality TV shows. I think probably we could get, out of the 30 guys, maybe some of them could be morbidly obese and they could try and lose some weight over the show as well. (laughs) They lose some weight. They cook for each other. We can vote on the best cooking, Mm -hmm. vote on the best rooms in the renovation, best song and dance. We do that. And I think that's probably the reality TV show that we deserve right now, a combination of all of them with Lou Baker. So, yeah. You on board? (laughs) Yeah, no, sure. I can't think... I don't think it can lose. I, I mean, think, yeah. everybody's... He's so hot right now. People just cannot shut up oh, exactly. about Lou Baker. Well, after Scatman and the Hat Man, it's all people are talking about. <laughs> it's it's all Lou Baker. So, look, if he answers my calls, I may consider mm. getting him back into my good books. Otherwise, I don't want anything to do with him. Sure. I <laughs> like to think that he lives in a separate house next to the main house with just four random girls from his music videos he does four of them from um he's got one of them's from paris one of them's from rome one of them's from fucking somewhere they've all very obviously been paid to be there but he's pretending they're his girlfriend exactly 3.5 million on spotify that's fucking alarming oh my god that's that's that is in fact that's disturbing i don't really know what's going on with that that's crazy two cents for this which is about what i expected does this have any lyrical highlights? It can't, can it? it does it? Certainly it certainly can't. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have many lyrics, really. No, no, it's just like, listing people's yeah, names. Uh, this opens with one, two, three, four, five. Everybody in the car, so come on, let's ride to the liquor store around the corner. The boys say they want some gin and juice, but I really don't want a beer bust like I had last week. Mm. Then he reels off nine different women who he's boning. 
So, ladies, if you're looking for a man who hangs out with a bunch of alcos, lost his license for a DUI yesterday and definitely has gonorrhea, then lose your boy. Oh, I just got a pedophile <laughs> moustache too. Sorry, did I mention the pedophile moustache? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty weird. Yeah, absolutely. What is? What's the? I want, I'm going to beer bust. What? I don't. Want, I don't want a beer bust. I think he means I don't want to like drive. Beer gut. Or? I don't want to drive in the car and get busted drink driving. That's what I assumed it meant. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah. I mean, who, the, who might, the fuck knows? Yeah. That might, but you know, hey. Look, it was basically just like let's list some chicks' names, and the rest of it will just fill in the gaps of that. Sure, so, yeah. maybe he means beer bust in the sense of I don't know. He was going to go out and pick up seventeen different women. And yeah, absolutely. Look, um. That's one of the worst of the decades, I'm going to say, Tom, for me personally. It's I don't appalling. want to hear that ever again. It's absolutely atrocious. It's, I mean, it's not as bad as Scatman and the Hammer, though. Holy no, no, fuck. no, no. That's... That might, that's one of the worst songs I've heard since you started doing this. It's <laughs> yeah, it's, just it's absolutely awful. Um, so it has yeah. no redeeming qualities except no. the Scatman John B, which is wholesale lifted from someone else. R.I.P. Look, what happens, Tom, when someone dies and then you cover their song without their permission? That's that's some sort of... It's, God. You, know, you know what I mean? Like you it, go it's, to hell, I guess, yeah, but I don't... Yeah, it's like, like it's yeah because you know you sort of, you're stealing something, but then someone doesn't have the ability to sort of uh, you know say yeah. hey someone stole my thing. I can I guess his estate could probably deal with that. I guess I don't really know, but look tough times for that one. So look, all I can say is that if you want to go and listen to Scatman and the Hatman, please do so with forewarning that it is one of the worst songs of all time, as Tom has mentioned. However, I don't think it's much worse than this one, Mambo Number no. 5, or I Have a Girl in Paris, Rome, etc., etc. So that's that. Up next, final of the week, which is good. That was, that was number one. Did we mention that was number one for eight weeks? God, That's wait. fucking insane. Yeah. Anyway, so look, up next, for nine weeks, so holy shit, this is it, Tom. This is the last song of the year, and by, you know, because we're 1999, this is the last song of the decade. This is it. Yep, nine weeks. Fucking hell, this so, must have been a big song. Yep, a couple of songs. It must uh, have had a lasting impact and you know meant a lot to a lot of people to be in the charts that long. Well, exactly right, Tom. So look, this is what I'm thinking. So look, it's the end of the millennium. DJs around the world, everyone is is geeing up for mm-hmm. uh, you know it's New Year's Eve. People are getting ready for the new year. So they're playing obviously uh, Prince 1999, no doubt. That's sure. getting spun by a lot of oh DJs around the world goes without saying but apart from that I think people in New Year, bringing in New Year around the globe the DJs are going to be thinking what's the number one song now what's the biggest song around at the moment what do people want to hear as the New Year comes in as you're kissing someone going it's a new millennium you know blah 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 fantastic all those things it's the year 2000 it's a whole brand new world is Y2 am I going to wake up in the morning dead is Y2K <laughs> going to somehow kill me? Uh, it was a very real Am I going to go to the ATM to get $50 out to buy another couple of Maduri Illusions <laughs> and I'm just, you know, going to it's going to shoot my card back at me. I'm going to get decapitated. What's going to go on? No one really knows. But what was happening was everyone was they had those same uncertainties, those same doubts, those same you know, I guess hope for the future, but also the uncertainty of life and the mm-hmm. uncertainty of, of the year 2000. And everyone was listening to that by the, probably to the number one song at the time, <laughs> which was, of course, Eiffel 65 Blue. 
Jesus Christ. I had somehow managed to erase that that was the big song of December 1999. I mean, Nine weeks well, time. and yeah, and November as well. Fucking hell. Absolutely. So, look, people love the shit out of this. It's fantastic. <laughs> did they? Did they love the shit out of it? I mean, I guess they bought it like fucking hell. Look, I couldn't think of a better song to round out the decade than this, to be honest. So, for Why one, it makes absolutely no fucking sense True. whatsoever. Two, it's Eurodance, so it's, yeah, it's, it's not... Yeah, it's, it's post... I mean, it's, yeah, the, what, a B-list post-Eurodance. Yeah, look, it's not Labouche Eurodance, no, but it's, it's definitely... It's, it's from Europe. Steps Eurodance. And it's yeah. definitely dance, sort of like a poor man's Eurodance. And three, it rides the pitch correction technology to its logical conclusion. Yeah. Or so I thought until about <laughs> three months later, everyone just fucking went apeshit on it. But yeah. yeah. So it's got all the things that made the decade great. Eurodance, no sense, and pitch correction technology. I can see the logic. Yeah. Um, Eiffel 65, in case you're wondering, are three guys, not 65 guys. No. Uh, they're not from France. They all have flavour savers. They met in Turin the year before in Italy. Uh, and then this was a worldwide hit. And they snuck in just before digital downloading so that they somehow managed to sell 20 million albums <laughs> off this fucking cobblers. Although I'm quite pre- prepared to believe that that was one of those rug warehouse-style shipping errors you read about, you know, where someone accidentally orders a Canada boat full of dog shit post-Eurodance CDs, the boat hits a reef, and then some bunch of poor Aleutian Islanders have copies of Eiffel 65's first album washing up on their beach for the next 37 <laughs> years. But, yeah, they didn't really have any other hits, although they charted in a few different places with various things, They did a song for UEFA and the Winter Olympics and stuff, and I'm guessing people in Italy bought them, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think in my entire life I've ever heard anyone say, I'm an Eiffel 65 fan, or or a Lee Baker (laughs) fan, for that matter, but, you know. Probably not. Look, um, the follow-up single... 20 million albums, 20 million albums off this... There was a follow-up single, uh, Too Much of Heaven. uh, Yeah, (laughs) there was, and another one as well called... um, Too Much of Heaven can keep you underground. uh, Move Your Body. Oh, Move Your Body, and both of them had extreme sums of Imagine naming a song, Move Your Body. Uh, (laughs) That'll do. (laughs) Absolutely. Look, the character... There's a character in this song, Tom, and the character in the song lives in a world where everything's blue. Sure. His house, his car, his girlfriend... It's all blue. Uh, what a world that is now. It's pictured in the video too. He yep. appears in the video, interacts with the band in the video. Yep. Now, what is completely bizarre is that the character in the blue video clip um, called um, Zorty or Zortel. Zorotel? Zorotel? It's kind of hard to say. Zorotel? Zorotel. I reckon it's Zorotel. Uh, so it's, it's sort of like a, what, a CGI blue robot... Alien. ...kind of guy. Yeah, he's like a little space alien. So this is coming from Eiffel 65 quote. I started thinking about this character and I invented Zorotel and his lifestyle he led, the way he'd buy his house, pick his girlfriend, his job, the neighbourhood he would live in. Then I came up with a colour, a colour I thought described the way he saw things. Now, that's mm, fucking mm. stupid. But what's even worse is that Zerotl released a solo single. Oh, my God. They let him go solo, <laughs> titled I Wanna Be, 
And he had his own website <laughs> that I'll say has not been updated since the year 2000. I checked it out. It looks like it was literally up. Well, I don't know. It's got a who, touch of angel fire about it, doesn't it? It does have a touch of angel fire about it. And I don't know who keeps paying the, the fees to keep it up. <laughs> no. Because it's at this point, it's 21 years on at this stage. And yet it's still up. It's like that, but, that Space Jam website. It's like, still exactly. there. The original Space no Jam No one's website. updated it for 20 years. But yet it still exists. So wow. unless someone just said, oh, let's pay for the next 100 years up front. There we go. So, look, um, what I can say is that the website does have a bio. Oh, for Zerottle. Sure. Yep. What's the Zerottle story? Well, it tells me about how he came to meet Eiffel 65, Tom. Sure. Zerottle sent a gamma ray visual transmission so that the three humans could see it. Sure. The message was written in human language and was as follows. Please come back. The three humans called Eiffel 65 saw the transmission from their starship. They accepted to listen to the Zerotl message. <laughs> Hello, human friends. My name's Zerotlokiosukik5. Four, sorry, but you can call me Zerotl. I'm very sorry for what happened to you, but please let me explain the real story. After having explained the story to Eiffel 65, Zerotl said, we are, in general, we are general peaceful people and we're in love with science, art, that you call music. Sure. With your help, we'd like to learn it and to show you my good intentions, if you allow me. I will go on stage to sing your blue song together with you as a sign of friendship. <laughs> so that same night, Zerotta went on stage with Eiffel 65. Sure. In that very moment, he understood that, yes, music was the form of communication he was looking for. And that he had to travel the galaxy and universe to meet as many different forms of music he could and extract the key to the universal language. Mm. Now... What the fuck <laughs> is that about? And what inspired somebody to write that well, and then put it onto the website? A number of things occur to you immediately. But one of the, the first ones that occurs to me is that you've gone to the effort of making up this pile of bullshit. Yep. And at no point has it occurred to you to go, hang on, if we just met him... He wants to go on stage and sing a song which is about him that yep. we wrote about him having never having met him. Yep. So it's just a coincidence that we wrote a song about a blue alien Correct. that looks exactly like you and is the same colour as you. <laughs> Look, there's a few plot holes, Tom, in this story, <laughs> I think. I think that, you know, I'm looking at this and thinking perhaps this was written after the fact and they've tried to sort of... <laughs> Connect this mm. sort of backstory for Zerottle into that. Perhaps Zerottle uh, is not one of those friendly little blue aliens, but he's one of those aliens that can wave his finger and mentally control three guys from Italy who, you know, if we're being honest, don't look like they were about to join <laughs> any sort of rocket science <laughs> scholarship know. program in the first place. But, um, yeah, I mean, some of this is in the video sort of... Or at least there's a bunch of munted blue CG alien dudes copy-pasted everywhere. And then, have you seen the video to the follow-up, Move Your Body? Sure have. It continues to expand the Zerottle cinematic universe <laughs> and features the, oh, let's, for the, for the want of a better word, call them a band, yep. doing the same shit as the last video, but for twice as long. The song is somehow worse, which is almost impressive. Uh, I wrote a fan follow-up called I'm Brown, but sadly it only sold 4 million copies at 3am as a mobile phone ringtone <laughs> starring an animated turd emoji with its dick hanging out. Yep. But yeah, so I you know, I only made a couple of mil off that, which was a real shame because I thought you know, I'm Brown could have expanded the, the cinematic universe even further, perhaps introducing a new race of brown-coloured people 
you know, who are at war with. <laughs> in the videos, Zerottle seems to be fighting something, and so do the band, if by fighting you mean that they seem to have been <laughs> uh, crudely overlaid onto some sort of 2D platform game from the era, say, Abe's Odyssey on the Super Nintendo or something, and occasionally one of them will stick their leg out and then 20 to 30 seconds later an alien will walk in and bounce off their leg and fly off in a... You know, in a in a Marvel Universe level special effect. Yeah, the CGI you know. is somehow worse than that was that was from um, <laughs> Here's Johnny, I think. From I was going to say. So yeah, it's five years later, but it's mm. completely worse. So anyway, look, in 1991, Tom, if I can flash back to that podcast, I think we we briefly discussed. What if we could buy the rights to MC Scat Cat? What if we could mm. somehow approach the record label, get MC Scat Cat under our umbrella of artists and then sort of try and, and, and I guess, reintroduce him or relaunch him, you know, in, into a new world. Not just MC Scat Cat, but all of the Stray Mob. I think yes, Tommy sort of mentioned that. So <laughs> should we be looking at also trying to purchase the rights to Zerotl? I mean, he's <laughs> fucking awful, but... That means they should come cheap. And then perhaps trying to relaunch a sort of second coming of Zerotl. Would you like to see an MC Scat Cat Zerotl versus track? Maybe we can just take, say, I don't know, uh, the main part from Scatman John and then get them to sort of do a rap around sure. it. How yep. does that work? Get Lou Baker to do some auto-tune over the top why not yeah absolutely I mean everything about the Zerotl character in the website is completely insane to me I don't really understand it but look they sold so many copies they probably just said to someone in Italy in 1999 just set up a fucking website and write some bullshit here's 10,000 euros maybe they were legitimately invested in Zerotl and they took their monetary success with Iron Blue as a massive global affirmation that other people wanted to hear about the Zerotl story too instead of thinking this Chorus is vaguely catchy. But the problem, I think, they really dropped the ball here after 65 because we only have to fast forward about five years to see that, you know, Crazy Frog just exploded. Mm. Zerotl could have been Crazy Frog, <laughs> I think, in terms of his popularity. Yeah, so. well, that's how my turd emoji got so big as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Look, good to see this song back on people's radar because in 2020, uh, a Flume remix... Mm. was in the hottest 100 of Triple J and I think mm. people were like, oh, great, it's back. Oh, God. Uh, not even Flume could save this. I prefer, <laughs> personally, the 2015 version She's Blue by Murray Amber, which is even shitter than the original because it's a joke-free song about the TARDIS from Doctor Who oh. by an Australian YouTube millennial who does musical parodies yeah. and films them in a car park in Sydney. I prefer a cat in a box on top of a fridge myself, but, you know... I shouldn't pay her out too much, but you know these—they're pretty bad. Sorry. Look, I think I think what I find, Tom, is that when you're doing a parody, the best thing to do is to wait 15 years to do it because usually <laughs> that's the key. You don't you don't want to do Weird Al and sort of go songs out now. I'm going to try and get that parody out within the year mm. or even within a couple of months mm. for Weird Al. I think what you should do is you should definitely go. Let's put this on ice, and then 15 years later, I'm going to do a parody, and people will be yes. like, "Oh yeah, I remember that from 15 years ago." Also, that is hilarious. When you're doing a parody, remember never put any jokes in or no. be funny in any way. Absolutely not. And Absolutely not. It helps if you can't sing and have a Australian accent that makes even me wish I was from another country. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm just being really <laughs> no, mean about some YouTube. Look, person. one of the one of the um, one of the mysteries of this song. 
time and I think for a long time people sort of because it's like I'm blue double dee double and people didn't know whether it was just the dude going double dee double da or yep. whether it was sort of actually An saying actual something word. in that yep. yeah and I think one of the rumours was it was like I'm blue I'm in need of a guy I'm in need of a I guy I suppose yeah I guess that's one that I heard that yeah I mean I'm just thinking I'm, I'm, I'm sure that happened I'm just trying to imagine if I could think it would sound like that. Probably Maybe doesn't at all. Longer but yeah. green. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. it makes as much sense as Dabba Deba Deboo. Dabba Dee Dabba Da. So look, it's one of the, one look, I, I just cannot think of anything better than it's a new millennium, 10, 9, 8, Baba Dee Dabba Dabba Da, 7, Dee Dabba Da, Why didn't someone remix Prince? Why didn't someone fucking remix 1999 by Prince? Jesus. I mean, I guess people probably did and played it in nightclubs and it didn't get to number one in the charts. Look, the thing is, Tom, that as we will learn in the future, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Every Christmas time, Gets, gets back bump. into the charts, yeah. gets a bump up. So because of Spotify. So I think if Spotify had existed back then, <laughs> Prince 1999 probably would have yeah, gone through the top true. of the charts. But it didn't, so we're stuck with this. Look, as we mentioned before, Too Much of Heaven didn't do great in Australia. That was a follow-up single. But uh, it has been described as, quote, possibly the very first example of rapping through <laughs> auto-tune. So Eiffel 65, much like Pearl Jam, mm. leading to Creed, <laughs> Rage Against Machine, leading to Limp Bizkit, in many ways, Eiffel 65 led to the entire generation T-Pain. of T-Pain and other yep. terrible auto-tune rappers. So mm. hats off to that. You've done a great job. <laughs> Lyrical highlights, there must be a lot. Well, for let's this. take a look at this dope rap that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah sorry, rap is loose, loosely used, isn't it? Uh, I have a house. I have a blue house with a blue window. Mm-hmm. Yep. So notice he switched to first person for this bit. We were, we were literally looking through the eyes of Zerottle at this point. <laughs> I have a blue house with a blue window. Blue is the color of all that I wear. Blue are the streets and all the trees are too. I have a girlfriend and she is so blue. Blue are the people here that walk around. Blue like my Corvette. It's in and outside. Blue are the words I say and what I think. Blue are the feelings that live inside me. Yeah. Now, Ben, do you reckon there's any chance at all, leaving Zerottle aside for the moment, that at one point Jeffrey J, the dude who wrote the lyrics in, and I quote him, 30 to 40 minutes, <laughs> was trying to use the whole I'm blue thing to mean being sad yep. in the traditional I'm blue sense, got a bit carried away, lost his way a bit, was frustrated because he didn't speak very good English, hit save, went out on the town, did a huge amount of pingers, and wound up spending all night in some random dude's flat talking about aliens with a guy in reflective blue flares with huge foam spikes on them and an alien face tank top. And then he woke up at 4pm on Monday afternoon, he'd erased the original song and that this was what was left on his hard drive, along with 26-page Word document about Zerottle and his history with the human race and how he uses gamma rays to tell people to trim their flavour savers and, you know, go into space and fight an alien race of brown guys. You know, I think that's my theory. Look, it's the most logical take, I think, Tom, for this, because clearly it sounds like the <laughs> yes, correct. It sounds like after a long night on the drugs and the alcohol, that those are the lyrics you may come up with, <laughs> and a very long manifesto of sorts about <laughs> Zerottle, I think. It's, it, it's the only thing that makes sense. It, it sounds like it could have started out as someone trying to describe feeling blue, yep. and then he's just gone way over the top and then 
you know, gotten high as fuck. Exactly. Anyway. Is it the ultimate use of metaphor, though, Tom, <laughs> to sort of express one's emotional state through objects? Mm. So I, I guess like to how sort of suggest this that space alien Zerotl from an intergalactic planet has a Corvette for some reason. Yeah, definitely. But Why wouldn't he? Unexplained so. reasons. Anyway. I'm blue like my Corvette. So look, yeah, it's, it's it's a good song, and that's the thing. Does it talk about? Is it is it something that we should analyze and say yes, it is a song about sort of someone expressing their emotions and how they feel blue, or is it just legitimately someone listing a heap of blue objects? Maybe we'll never know. But look, as we've said before, Tom, you know, good art it often asks more questions than answers that's it provides. Right. So, and this is another one. That I'm glad that that was the final song for the millennium. I'm very yeah. excited for that. Lots so, look, of big chunk ones this year. Lots of songs that massive ran for chunks, eight yep. weeks at a time. Absolutely. So some of the songs that didn't quite get there, that don't impress me much by Shania. Oh, we talked yep. about Shania last week. Number two. Why don't you get a job by the Offspring? That's fuck. That's almost worse than Pretty mm, Fly for a White a Guy. It starts with the line, "My friend's got a girlfriend and he hates that bitch." Yeah, exactly. That's the first line of that song. And it sounds like it's a rip off from a Beatles song. <laughs> yeah. It's fucked. Not great. Uh, we like to party and boom, 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 boom by the mm, Venga Boys. Now they're both great. So boom, boom songs that were visible by number two were good. We decided, didn't we? Yeah, so this one's technically good, I think. Yes, so yeah, according to your theory, your yeah, theory was... <laughs> Paul Lukakis was good, and then Boom, 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 I Want You In My Room. Not so good. Not so good, and then... Boom, and I, I don't even know what this one is. I don't even know. It's four booms and two exclamation marks. Yeah, apparently. fuck, I don't know. I yeah. Want It That Way by Backstreet Boys. That was a big hit, but only number two. Yep. Uh, uh, sometimes by Britney Spears. Oh, yeah, Genie in a Bottle by Christina Aguilera. She was the first one to follow on the Britney Spears uh, yeah. promotional heels. If You Get Down by Five. Um, bullshit. Don't Call Me Baby. Oh, uh, yep. Madison Avenue. A few uh, Millennium-influenced songs. Millennium Prayer by Cliff Richard <laughs> and Anthem for the Year 2000 by Silverchair. Yeah, that one's terrible. Um, <laughs> oh, favourite of mine, The Animal Song by Savage Garden, which has some of the worst lyrics ever put to paper oh, because fuck. he's trying quite hard. This is the thing. We're not talking about I'm blue, da ba dee ba da and then get it going out and getting fucked up and doodling stuff in your notebook. Uh, this starts off with the lines... When superstars and cannonballs are running through your head, a television freak show, cops and robbers everywhere, subway makes me nervous, people pushing me too far, I've got to break away, so take my hand now, chorus, because I want to live like animals, careless and free like animals, I want to live, I want to run through the jungle, the wind in my hair and the sand at my feet, I've been having difficulties keeping to myself, feelings and emotions better left up on the shelf. (laughs) Animals and children tell the truth, they never lie. It's true. Which one is more human? There's a thought, now you decide. You know, he's left you with something meaningful there, and he rounds it off with compassion in the jungle. Because that's what I think of when I think of the jungle. I think of the wind in my hair, in the jungle, the sand at my feet, you know, one of those sandy jungles, and lots of compassion. That's that's the first thing that's brings to mind in the jungle. But, you know, I liked how he poses that philosophical question. Animals and children tell the truth, they never lie. Which one is more human? There's a thought, now you decide. So he's asking, is an animal or a human more human, do you think? 
Look, it's a tough one, Tom, but look, mm. I think that... Um, you know how children never tell lies, Ben. They well, only speak the truth. You've got two children. They're very honest, aren't they're they? They're very honest. They do never tell lies. If you say, do you piss on the floor, they always say yes. That's <laughs> definitely me. I take full responsibility for that, and I'll clean it up as quickly as possible. Absolutely right. My look, bad. Look, I'm not um, someone that knows a lot about sort of genetics or how they work, but yes, I do assume that you're correct, Tom, that... Humans are probably more human than animals, but, I mean, I don't know. Children, definitely. I think what Darren is trying to say is animals and children tell the truth, they never lie. Which one is more human, brackets, than us and them? Yeah. E.g., in in his analogy, (laughs) children aren't human in this analogy. He's saying animals and children who aren't human tell the truth. So which is more human, them or us? Hmm? Hmm? I, th- I think that's what... It, it's like that song Rats by Pearl Jam where they list off a stuff that rats... List a bunch of stuff that rats don't do, you know, meaning to sort of push the truth in your face and go, hey, man, you think rats are so gross? They're vermin. But, you know, <laughs> look at all this shit. People are worse. Rats don't do this. That Rats don't do that. With the slight problem that about half of the things he lists that rats don't do, they totally do. Yeah, exactly. So it's... <laughs> One of the things I think that he lists that rats don't do is shit where they're not supposed to, which is some new kind of rat that he knows about because this is not the Any one. Any knows. He's, he always, he's always known. <laughs> yes. He does. So anyway, sorry, I had to bring up even more shit lyrics just oh, like that. that they are in my top five, I reckon, for worst lyrics of all time. Compassion in the Jungle too as well, Tom. You're absolutely yeah. right. I mean, I've often noticed that, you know, when sort of the leopard's going to, you know, attack the cheetah, it's like, no, wait on. <laughs> Compassion, Tom. It's all about compassion. <laughs> so look, right. It's absolutely great. So look, um, yeah, there's some other shitters in here as well. So as you mentioned, uh, Sister by Sister to Sister. Oh, God. Yeah, look that up. Now, Tom, I don't <laughs> want to talk about it too much, but imagine MC Scat Cats opposite subtract <laughs> except replacing... Who'd have thought we could be lovers with two sisters going, <laughs> she's always on the phone. Yeah. Oh no, she's it's in the weird, bathroom a lot. She won't leave. And it's like sisters just talking about how they're, they're complete opposites and they fucking hate each other because one's always, you know, taking a dump while the other mm, one is taking a piss. One's just like, oh God, they're so annoying. And then, but then it, the chorus is like, Oh, but I love my sister. It's fucking woeful. So it's pretty it's good. Absolutely terrible. The only thing I would say in the defense of that is you don't hear many songs about a sister no. liking another, not a metaphorical sister, like, you know, another person with the same skin color as me or someone who's cool as well, but my actual sister or brothers. Yeah. There aren't many songs about fraternal or, you know. What's That's the, true. What's the female? What's, uh, what is it? Um, what's the female version of fraternal? means sisters oh god that's going to irritate me now anyway doesn't matter there aren't many songs about it is what I'm saying oh, look, good that on does si- not make it not a shit song no though. exactly good on sister to sister or S to S as they've been known <laughs> as well for trying Tom they've done that as well um, when you're gone Brian Adams and Melanie C you remember that one where it's where they're like mm-hmm. even cool. food don't taste that good oh, booze ain't doing what it should <laughs> that one's fucked and I'm glad I only got to number four because Brian Adams had way too many number ones he did in the 90s in the, in the 90s so yep um, yep so what sister to sister should have done is uh, do implied incest like the Veronicas that's where they were really letting it down oh. 
They should have absolutely. Yeah, the, 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 the sister, sister had had fake scissoring in the video. They probably the Veronica's still famous now, really. Yeah, the Veronicas are working on a level that I'm not quite sure whether it was ever okay, <laughs> but people seem to have just turned mm. a blind eye and went, "That's okay." Um, look, Tom, we're gonna next week. We're gonna be doing the oh, sorry, '90s rap lullaby song. by Sean Mullins. You're oh, right. I thought yeah. it was Rocky I no, he to, says rockabye. He does. He goes lullaby, rockabye. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's, anyway. It doesn't matter what he says. It's, it's fucking woeful sure. on all levels. Please so. keep going. So I was just going to say, Tom, look, next week we're going to be doing um, a 90s rap yep. where we sort of have a look at some of the stuff that we didn't get to talk mm. about in the 90s. So some of these songs that didn't make it to number one but we feel like have something significant to say not us have something the songs themselves have something significant to say <laughs> we'll talk about so look we'll get to talk about a few of these um, so yeah such as you, you're going to hand out a few awards Tom is that right? oh sure we'll have plenty of awards definitely so yeah. hopefully you're handing out an award for most likely to be performing at a food and wine festival in 20 years time <laughs> extraordinarily intoxicated so I won't tell you who that award winner is but they reached number four in this year with one of their oh, and hits. Darren Hayes I know you're listening to this sorry I paid out your lyrics so much I'm sure you know what they mean but you know anyway. yeah exactly cool all right well thanks a lot oh Wild Wild West only got to number eight Tom I just saw that in the yeah. so yeah good stuff Anyway, thanks for listening. Mm, um, thank go you to, very much. And we'll see you next week for a 90s rap. Yep. All so, the songs are in the web, YouTube playlist. Play, yep. YouTube playlist. And uh, check us out on Sunglasses at Night Podcast on the Instagram. Thank you very much. So, yeah.